Welcome to episode 542 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alrighty, team, welcome along to episode 542 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? Sensational, Bevan. See, he said sensational before, but he hadn't turned yeah. his mic on. I know. Didn't hear you. Maybe we need to get new sound technicians. Well, luckily I have my earphones in, because yeah. I would have known. I've always done the show. Jeepers, creepers. Has, has the week been, John? It's been good. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Pretty yeah. solid. How about you? When we just then? I've got to hit myself, yeah. haven't I? Okay, let's carry on. <laughs> let's carry on. I talk is Bradley brought to you by Athlinks.com. Uh, social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme Your endurance. Lactic buffer. Oxygen addict. And we're going to be talking about to those guys later on. And our patrons. And let's name a few of them. Jomo. Richard Speedwalker Swan. And he actually sent me through some uh, some good information about the marathon payment and stuff. Okay. They're not paying enough to get good people here. Right. <laughs> and to be honest, they probably could never afford it. Well, maybe they could. Peter, the Explosion Curry. Mike Swizzle Pizzle. Swizzle Pizzle. That's <laughs> a good one. That is Stefan Big Ben Leanheart. Eric, the Resuscitator Foul Bubble. Yeah, I'll give you Foul Bubble with you. I'm not quite yeah. sure. Foul Bubble. Yeah, it's a different name, that one. Okay, I'm Talkers Proudly. Oh, we've done that one. Uh, this week's show, I've John. I've thrown Bevan off, you see. I've got here on time. I know. And I said, I'm going to be ready to go. I have all the websites ready to rumble. Walk in, I'm ready to go. And Bevan's just, he's flustered. Well, well let's, let's be honest. His, he's got his five-liter bloody chai tea latte there. What what is Evan that talks to me about you when it comes to turning up on time? Last week you were 43 minutes late. <laughs> Not that you were counting. <laughs> Not that I was counting. Uh, that's always the irony of you because John completely thinks people being late is rude yeah. and he's always late. I'm <laughs> yeah. not always late. So, you know, luckily I'm a bit more of a calm soul. Yeah. Anyway, uh, news. So we've got some news. We've got Hop Topic of the Week. We've got a couple of interviews. First one is with Paul Larson and Dan Plews talking heart rate variability. And then we've got my first try. We've got another interview. Catch up with Rob Wilby from Oxygen Addict. And we're going to be talking about uh, improving your swim for yes. the busy age grouper. And then we've got some questions and answers at the end. So let's get into it. News. Big news this week was Ultraman. We had Ultraman Hawaii happening, which is the big event. Uh, a bit of a domination. A, that's the thing. It's not a big event. It's a tiny event. I know. But it's, a, it's, it's, it's the it's big event tough, of their world. It's a very tough event. Uh, but it's tiny. And you look at the pictures on Facebook and stuff, and it is grassroots. And that's how they want it, and they love it that way, and the athletes like it that way. But, you, you know, they've got the, like, the little flags with the little triangles, you know, real old school. Well, it's, their it's, website's, you it's know, very basic. everything about it is 1990s. It's, uh, but it's good stuff. On day one, we had Rob Gray was in the lead. He swam a 2.29 and then uh, to be first out of the swim, but apparently Kate Bevilacqua actually passed him. Apparently they have a, a long run out of the out of the swim and he was cramping up, but he was uh, first out of the swim. Kate Bevilacqua led the girls and then uh, at the end of day one, Rob Gray was still in the lead. He had an, uh, for the 6.2 mile swim and the 90 mile bike, he had a time of 8.02.08. He was 10 minutes ahead of uh, Inaka Della Para. Apparently, Inaka, well, he's, he was 15 minutes down out of the swim. Yep. Apparently, he caught up, just about caught up to Rob, just before the climb to Volcano, which is a good... 30 odd k's long it's not very steep but it's really really long um, but then it sounds like Rob sort of pulled away at that stage and Kate Bevilacqua was sitting in third place after day one 
Then moving on to day two, which is the big bike ride where Massive. they ride from Volcano. They have a bit of a, a downhill and they sort of go around where the, the, the current volcanic activity is, uh, sort of a, a side road, and come back up. And then they're basically on the, the main road all the way up to Waimea. And then uh, and then they have the really tricky section over the Kahalas out to Harvey, which is a decent climb to get up there, but it's a fairly treacherous um, descent. And it sounded like on day one and also towards the end of day two, they had some brutal winds. Oh, really? Uh, so you were sort of pretty much getting blown off the road. But the the... the the, the great effort on day two was from uh, Aniko Della Parra, who was within seconds of breaking the day two bike course record and really set his race up for actually overall win. He rode seven hours and 20 minutes. So wait, was this on a really windy day and he rode that well? Yeah, really windy, but it's hard to know if, if it, it was, was tailwinds. Yeah. It sounded yeah. like he took it very cautiously um, over the Kohala section where you you could do the downhill we did that on Epic Camp this year and uh, I was doing the aid station where... Uh, we, we left them at Waimea and then you have the climb and then you have a descent and I met them at this little turn off you've just got to make to, to turn down into Harvey and that had been after that had a long descent people came into that and their <laughs> knuckles were white oh, and really? a few of them were freaking out a bit it was good stuff but it's a it's a windy fast descent that has got some corners and you just need to be a little bit careful so he uh, really set his race up there and uh, as I said almost beat the course record and he put uh, 15 minutes into Rob Gray and you know 25 to 30 minutes into into the other main contenders so day three day three went on and he uh, dominated the run too didn't he yeah he just had a yeah third fastest run of the day and that was uh, plenty enough to give him the overall victory so he finishing time was 22 hours 34 minutes and 18 seconds and then second place was rob gray 23 hours did i say 23 hours for della Pera? it was 22 hours 22 yep. 34 yeah and uh, rob gray was 23 hours 18 tony o'keefe at the ripe old age of 55 he's had it for he's the one who's done it a long time isn't he i believe he's done quite a few yeah. 23 hours and 22 minutes only four minutes off uh, second place and because Rob Gray faded quite badly on that run doing a 7 hour 41 and then uh, also another elder statesman Miro Kruger was at, in fourth in 23 hours 59 seconds and 50 23 hours 59 minutes and 57 seconds so three seconds under the one day barrier well, what's interesting is you think Rob Gray because they all started at the same time on day three yes so you 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 know the guys in front of you and you know the time you've got to beat, I imagine, to get mm. second, don't you? And you, when you're only three or four minutes out and you're kind of eight hours or seven hours and a half into a run, yeah. that's a good little carrot, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. We had uh, Kate Bivlacqua take the girls out in 24 hours, 44 minutes and four seconds in front of Tara Norton, who was uh, faded pretty badly on, on the final run. She went uh, 27 hours, 56 minutes. And in third place, uh, I think she might have won it last year, was a, a Kona local, Stacey Struder, in 28 hours, 42 minutes. See Tara Norton back racing, eh? Yeah, so Ultraman, it's a tough old challenge. Old school racing, you're out there with you and your support crew, and sounds like it's a really good vibe and atmosphere between the athletes. You know, you're all on a pretty epic challenge together, and it just sounds like it's just nice and low-key. You don't get all the tension and the... I don't know, hype's not the right word, but the all the analness around sort of Iron Man. The analness has disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> just go, go back there and you're just riding by yourself and just doing it. So, 
Good, good work. Okay, so we also had Ironman Cozumel, and no real surprise on the men's side. You, th- you would have picked him to win it, so Freddie Van Leer took it out. He did. Uh, smoking fast swim times, 43 minutes, 46 mm. seconds. Now, I do recall I had some athletes racing there a few years ago. I think it's sometimes it can be quite current-assisted, so it's not that it's necessarily short, but it might have been one of those days which was quite well current-assisted. It's nice when you get one of those ones, eh? Well, not if you're a good swimmer, it's not. Oh, I love it. See, for me, I loved it. You go, oh, you just flying along. You go, jeez, I'm doing well. No, and so you look up and the water's flying behind you. 43, 46 swim, 4.22 on the bike. Two hours, 52, 42 on the run. It was pretty close coming off the bike. There was a whole group of them came off together and Freddie Van Leer just uh, did what he needed to do. It only ended up being just over a one-minute victory ahead of Matt Russell who came in. With so he wasn't ahead because he was five minutes ahead on the... Was he ahead all day? I think him and someone else rode together. And a few, there was a little gaggle of them coming off the a bike. A gaggle? Oh, yeah. there you go. Um, Michael Weiss, I think, was, was, was leading at one stage. I think he might have just been leading coming off the bike. But I think there was about three or four of them came off the bike together. Okay. Together or very close together. There wasn't any live coverage. I was just having a gander um, at some of the... A gaggle and a gander. At the live coverage. So, yeah, Freddie Van Laird has uh, got his... Kind of ticket sort of locked and loaded for next year. So, man, if I was a pro, this is what I'd be doing. Is oh, it's, it's kind of extend, silly not to, isn't it? Extend your training. You know, it's, if you're an age grouper, the, the come down from Kona is pretty big. You know, you would have been working towards it for a long time, especially if you're a, a Southern Hemisphere athlete, you know, and and so it's really hard to carry on. But for, for pro athletes, geez, I'd just tick over with um, general conditioning work and just bang one of those bad boys out. If I was, you know, a top 15 athlete, um, just so you've got it all done, and, and yeah, you may still r- race Ironmans next year, but at least you don't have any pressure if you. Do you think we'll see Freddie get back to a top five in Kona? Oh yeah, absolutely. He's just one he of those tenth this year. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely Harold think so. Freddie. I don't think he's necessarily got the capacity to to win. Um, but well, he's got the capacity to win. But there's some other rock stars there. You have to have a few people having not such good days, I think, for him to win again. But you know, he's one of those guys that. You know, he's a front front pack swimmer, and he's a very strong biker, and he can often be the, the strongest runner out of the front group of bikers. So, uh, yeah, no, I definitely think he's got the capacity to do it. Matt Russell was in second place in 8.04.24, and Chris Lieferman, who won, I think it was Montrem Blanc earlier this year in what, what I believe was his first Ironman, he was third in 8.09. Michael Weiss faded a little bit to fourth place, and good old Chris McDonald was... In fifth place in eight hours, 15 minutes and 59 seconds. He's 37. 37, is he? Yes, in that case, you might think. Oh, I still he's think he's got one or two years to do it, I reckon. Oh, yeah, no, but yeah, absolutely. I think he's still got, got the business. Girl side of things. Um, good race. Good race. Michelle Vestibu took it out. She swam 50 minutes, rode 4.54 and ran 3.19 for a 9.08.06. Uh, Lauren Brandon, who is just a sensational swimmer and leads out most of the races, uh, she had a five-minute lead coming out of the swim. She swam 45, and she's a good biker too, and she rode a 4.58, but she often comes unstuck on the run. Uh, but she put in a, an okay run of 3.23 to finish in second place in 9.12. And Camilla Peterson, who was leading on the run, uh, faded quite badly towards the end uh, and finished in third place in 9.14. She got overtaken at 35Ks. Mm-hmm. So Michelle got her at 35. She basically ran to halfway together, and then I think Camilla took off, or, or maybe early on the run, got a 90-second kind of gap, kind of sat there forever. 35Ks, she blew up. And, and lost six two, minutes. Yeah. Seven Ks, a minute a K. Yeah. And, Kareem, and eight, lost, you know, seconds place as well. 
Corinne Abraham, who I read on Torsten's report, said that she got a double puncture towards the end of the ride, and she only ended what, up being... What, but front and back? Well, I, I assume... That's got to be the worst. No, I, I assume it was... Well, it could have been that, but I assume it would have been a puncture and then another puncture straight yep. afterwards. Uh, and she must have been close to, to the win if she hadn't done that, because she ended up uh, 11 minutes behind. She had the fastest run split of the day oh, by yeah. a long way. Uh, so you've got to kind of think that if she hadn't had those mechanicals, she would have been right in the mix for the win. Have you ever had a double puncher? Both both tyres at the same time? I don't think so. I've oh, certainly yeah. had puncher and then another puncher because you don't find whatever it is yeah. in your tyre. Uh, but I don't think I've had any. Bevan, I'm looking out that window. That wind's looking pretty strong and I've got to go and do 40 minutes left John, after this. doesn't matter. you got my chocolate. Yes. There you go, because the chocolate worked last week, didn't it? Yes, I had another good ride last yeah, week, actually. See? The team, don't worry about low-fat, carb, whatever. Well, Whitaker's... Dark Garner. If you're doing a hard session, you need some carbs. <laughs> Dark Garner. Here we go. It's, it's a remedy. Uh, okay, so we had that. I mean, we also got a couple 70.3s happening over the weekend. We did. So uh, we had good good Kiwi there. Um, Amelia Watkinson taking out the Thailand 70.3 and Tim Reed taking it out there. We had a 70.3 Punta del Esther with Santiago Ascendo edged out Matt Hansen to win. And on the girls' side of things, give me two seconds. One, one and two. One and two. <laughs> on the girls' side of things, we had, ah, oh, come on, screen. Kirsty Yarn from Canada to take it out from Lauren Weisner and Adrian Monticelli. So, other pieces of news, some kind of exciting news. Challenge have released another race, and it's going, it looks like it's going to be in Prague. It becomes a part of the Challenge Family International Series of Triathlon. John, Jono are going to do Prague next year. Great. Have you Prague? Yep, it's fantastic. That's, that's that. why I wanted to bring this up because I thought it's just a really cool destination. And yeah. I don't know what the race is going to be like in terms of the terrain, but I know we had, um, was it Ben Cobra, I think it was? Uh, he was over there this year before, wrote and said there's some really cool riding around um, around Prague and the roads are nice and quiet. So I'd imagine the course is going to be pretty wicked. And so is it a full distance race? No, no, it's a half. It's so a half, okay. uh, it's on July the 29th. 29th. Yep. So good timing if you're doing a late season Ironman or if you're doing an early season Ironman to, to tag it on. But yeah, if you're looking for a, for a destination race, um, I'd go and check this out because it's a cool place. You can, if you're in Europe, always real dirt cheap airfares to get to Prague. Um, it's been going since two, 2015 as the Tri Prague, so they have a bit of experience to you know, iron out any wrinkles. So it's a cool, uh, a cool addition to the Challenge family. When did you go there? Maybe 203. Nice. Four, something like that. Nice. Okay, we've got um coming up this weekend. We've also got Ironman Western Australia, and it's a pretty big race in the calendar in Australia. It's a, it tends to be a bit of a faster race. We've got a sub seven hour, eight hour. Luke McKenzie did a sub eight, a seven fifty five in two thousand and fifteen. Uh, the bike times are pretty fast. Even McKenzie did a four oh eight, which is pretty smoking fast. That was an amazing performance that he did last year, and some people gave him quite a bit of credit. He really, you know. I think Torsten rated it and stuff on his rankings, and it, it really proved that it was a sensational solo effort, 755-58. So he's not racing this year? Um, let's see. No, I, don't, find his name here. I don't believe he's on the start list. So he was, uh, he was a big profile, but we're definitely seeing a lot more pros racing nowadays, aren't we? Yeah. No, Luke McKenzie was a bit down on things uh, post-Kona. He was sort of saying the old body's uh, a little bit broken. So we'll see we'll see where he goes from, from here. But this is an interesting field. You know, typically at this race, you get some really good Aussies. You know, it's a yep. good field, but it's dominated with Aussies and a few others sort of thrown in. This time, um, old Andy Potts, who had a, a poor Kona, is, is listed to start. Terenzo Bozzoni, he's listed to start as well. So Terenzo's in a, 
Potts didn't get a top 10, did he? I'd be surprised if Trenzo starts. I would have thought he's been do- he'll be doing Taupo 70.3 this, week, uh, this weekend as well. So we'll see if he starts. Um, Andy Potts, I think he did he had a really poor kind of... You, maybe you look it up while I, I yeah, go through well. the start list, but I'm, I recall him being... Oh, he was... Pretty, like, you interviewed him, it was pretty oh, down on it. Well, it was really fascinating because I think I interviewed him when he got the year two years before and he had a great race fourth or fifth fourth yeah or fifth, and, it, and it was it was such a contrast of emotion because he was so confident post that race like mm-hmm. he had a really great race that year and i think he had a pretty good race the year after as well didn't he mm-hmm. and so whereas this year he was a broken man mm-hmm. like he was and now admittedly he was in never never land yeah but but at the same time it was i think it was one of those moments that a real chink to your armor not just mm-hmm. shit a bad race it was like shit yeah you know and so i think you know for andy based on the two second conversation i had in that moment there probably needs to be a bit of confidence building again mm. you know i think you, you know ultimately got a bit hurt from that race and and more than just a kind of physical way so well he needs points as well because he has been one of those athletes and kind of who has been fairly consistent yeah you know those those years you talked about were sensational but he's often been that top top 10 guy and then you just need to go and validate so he's starting from from square one when we find bevan's uh research done we'll actually find out what placing he did get but he's going to need points so he's going after them early uh so andy potts is ranked number one on torsten's rating nick castleteen who i don't recall him ever racing uh before he's ranked second Dennis chevron jeff simons who's you know had some sensational races clayton fatale will be spanking the swim bike Terenzo. You never know what he's going to pull out of a, at an Ironman. He's got all the talent in the world to absolutely dominate everybody. Um, and then you've got a whole bunch of other dudes in there as well. So, um, you know, big size field, as Bevan said. Um, but it should be, you know, you've got some good quality athletes there. So It's interesting. He got 11th. Did he? Yeah, so it wasn't. Uh, like for him, well, he wants the top five, at least, doesn't he, or a podium. He's doing what... Um, what We've sort of recommended, you know, 11th is good enough to basically have enough points for Kona for next year, so he just needs to validate somewhere. Uh, he, he has traditionally, um, from memory, you know, typically done a mid-season Ironman race mm. in preparation for Kona, you know, be a, a Coeur d'Alene or a Lake Placid or something like that. I can't remember what he's done the last couple of years, but that was sort of his traditional model. So maybe this year he's gone validate early, change it up a little bit for this year and, and see what I can, he can do because he's got to be getting – Fairly long on the tooth, probably well, similar age. Yeah, I was going to say similar yeah. age to Free Van Leer. Yeah, so so here we go it, on the guys' side. And, and as we age, you know that that kind of recovery, or, or you know, to to peak once is going to be more important, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Good. So I think we've got Melissa Halshite, um, who DNF'd in Kona. Sarah Pampiano, who is the defending champion. And she was racing over in China fairly recently as well at 70.3. Asa Ludstrom from Sweden is always a consistent performer. Laura Siddle, who's based down here in Christchurch at the moment, um, if she's going over. Uh, so, again, good, strong field. We are back. We had a quick interview there, guys. We went away, did our interviews, come back. Magic of podcasting. John, we've got Hits Palm Springs happening. What, how many people well? got racing that? I don't know, but I just thought I'd give them a mention. I think it's just going to end up being a you know domestic series in the States, festival-type atmosphere. I think the Ironman, Iron Distance is never really going to take off, but I think they're, they're offering a, you know some good grassroots racing. So they've so been around Ironman. for a while. Look, it's kind of come set-to-sanded, not really gone much more than that, but it's survived. Exactly. Mm, so good luck. Okay, John. So John, here's, here's the headline John's given this. Carry on from John's rant last week. So I'm going to be a bit of a yo-yo here. I'm going to go up and down a bit. Okay, tell me about it. So people last week were ranting, and this is around the Ironman 
the world champion, Lionel Sanders, world I'm, world record holder, Ironman record on Ironman at Ironman Arizona, and uh, you know a number of people said, oh, you know, this is the real record, and it's wrote is short, and I said, well, Austria is short. Oh, did people as well. come back and say that? Did yeah, they? Yeah. Um, but of the two files, three files actually that I've seen from, and again, this is not taking anything away from Lionel Sanders because his oh, no. effort was amazing. And we're going to talk about his kind of power scores real soon. And yes. What a but consistent race. Of but the three files that I've seen, all 178 Ks. So a couple of Ks short on the bike. That's for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Just saying. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> last week... And I'm I know not, we love you. I'm, I'm not. I'm not retracting any my slagging off of Triathlete Magazine, who the, the headline was it was an Ironman world record. But I did have a bit of a look around uh, to see if there were any other articles. So I wanted to equally slam other companies yes. that had, had Slow done Twitch, so. They did a good job. Slow Twitch did a good job. They said it was an IM record, which I think that's good. They didn't say it was an Ironman world record. Ah, so you can lose record. the world. Okay, okay. That's, so you're happy yeah. with that one. And they, and they use Im record. So yeah. I, I thought So Twitch did a good job. And just one other thing that So Twitch did a good job as well covering this, the Ultraman um, stuff because they always get, do a good job, don't yeah, they? they don't, yeah, doesn't get coverage anywhere else. And uh, and they did a little report each day, which I thought was was good. A good I wonder job. If it could be interesting to talk So Twitch about their numbers on that. Like, do they actually get much? You know, because obviously for them, they're trying to create content that gets hits. Mm. Um, I wonder how many people actually want to follow that race. Because, well, it's 50 people racing. Oh, listen to that. Yeah, like it's a pretty small race. Yeah. It, it gets feed, you know, from people like us. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about it every year. And it's kind of a growing world in a, in a very slow-paced kind of way. But it'd be interesting to see, you know, they're doing great work. And uh, the other thing that I, I got pretty fired up on We've got thumbs day. down here. No, no, this is, this is a... This is a uh, a sideway thumb. Okay. <laughs> Side Luke, Poke the eye out. <laughs> Luke Egotts uh, sent me a note. Look at this, John. Ironman actually mentions the real world's fastest full distance time in this article. Still uh, at the race we can't talk about, though. And this was an article um, about uh, Lionel Sanders on Ironman.com. Yep. And initially, I got really fired up. Oh, really? Because I didn't actually read it. Uh, Luke's comment very closely and I only skim read the article and I was just I had my blinkers on and to go <laughs> <laughs> they're talking the, 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 I thought this was another one saying this is the Iron Man world record and they did actually um, acknowledge wrote they didn't mention it they said below Sanders shares his plan of attack and what the record means to him and the sport and in brackets this year has been one of the one for the record books German pro and reigning Ironman world champion Jan Frodeno unleashed the fastest time ever at the full distance with a world record 7.35.39 race this summer so they didn't mention where uh, but at least they acknowledged it and I kind of wonder if they got the tap on the shoulder because there was a lot of people who were equally ranting as I was about their complete denial that there was another event. So half thumbs up for Ironman there for at least recognising um, Jan Fredino's efforts. But then, uh, again, I've probably got to give a, not a thumbs up, not a thumbs down to Training Peaks. Another was, poke in the eye? It was, it was a big thumbs down because the title of their um, post of Lionel Sanders' uh, record was the power analysis, uh, how Lionel Sanders broke the Ironman world record. Mm. So big thumbs down for that, but a big thumbs up Great for, article. for posting it and posting his file, which again is 178 kilometres, but really shows how he unleashed his effort. Uh, it was a pretty even effort throughout the day. It's power, you know, as most races... You, as you see, you know, it did fall off a little bit towards the end, 
but his variability yeah. score, I'm just waiting for it to load. It was one, 1. 1. 0. 1. 0. 1. Yeah. So nice, even effort throughout. I mean, it's not a hilly course. You've got uh, sort of gently up and gently down, So, you, but it doesn't really have any, um, not that I've raced here, it doesn't really have any big spikes or anything like that. When you look at the, the course profile, you're thinking, holy Moses, it's uh, three ginormous climbs each lap, but it's only, you know, 100 metres of elevation change uh, each. Well, you, you climb from around about 350 metres to around about 450 metres elevation uh, each lap. So Lionel Sanders, he pumped out that 178 kilometres in 4 hours and 3 minutes and 38 seconds. Normalised power was 317 watts, average power 315. Cadence, um, a little bit on the low side for, for what we see from a lot of top athletes, 85 with a max of 102. Average speed, 43.7 kilometres per hour. Doesn't have heart rate on there, um, but yeah. Had good conditions, 18 degrees centigrade average, outstanding effort. So just on, on Lionel Sanders, you know, what, what was his kind of comment around it? So he's basically saying on his blog, he's wrote a couple of blog posts about this race. Um, he One thing which, like, one thing Sanders has got, he's got grit, hasn't he? Oh, absolutely. He, he def- he's the definition of grit. And he was actually saying, like, not in this article, somewhere else I read when I was kind of doing the research for today's show, he was saying his, his partner actually said to him, you can get the record, but you, and it was at a level where he was kind of on that verge of it probably could go either way, and it was kind of like, but you're gonna to have to fight because you actually, you know, the pace you're going right now, you ain't gonna get it, mm. and so he thought I'd be really disappointed in myself if I if I didn't give it everything. So he just lay it all out on the line, which, you know, Sanders is a hard ass, isn't he? Ooh, yeah, man, he's a hard ass. But he's got here. I think it's important to note the distance has been covered faster by two times in the past: once by Andreas Raylert and once by Jan Fredino. Both at an event called Challenge Road. Ironman does not acknowledge these official records, though, because it did not occur at official Ironman events. I think both Jan and Andreas's are two of the greatest athletes to ever do the sport and deserve recognition for having produced faster times over the distance. To even be mentioned in the same paragraph as them is a true honour, and they have both been massive sources of inspiration for my career. So that's just class, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. but I would love to see him against Jan Frodeno at Rote or somewhere like that, where it is man against man. You know, Jan Frodeno soloed it there, yeah, that's... Uh, and Lionel Sanders soloed it um, more or less at uh, at this race here as well. I saw one picture of TJ Tollockson riding with him. I don't know how long he rode with him for, but it was essentially a solo effort. It yeah. was amazing. Um, that's what made these, and Andreas was the same when he did it too, wasn't solo, he? Solo, yep. That's what makes it so impressive, isn't mm. it? You know, because when we go back to the old days, it was always that that rote when it went sub. But it was about eight fifty, no seven fifty, wasn't it? Yep. But they four of them rode the bike, didn't they? Mm. And so it was kind of like, and that's why we always would say this record isn't going to be broken until we get another race where we get top riders riding together. And who would have thought that the top three iron distance races of all time mm. have been solo efforts? Imagine, I mean, you've, you know, it's just human nature. These guys would have been able to go faster. Oh yeah, far out, yeah. If you had someone running you down. And imagine if you had a pack of three or four. Mm. Like, it's unfortunate thing we don't see a lot in our sport, but imagine it, because, you know, that's when you're getting closer to the 7.30. That's a good lead in, Bevan, to my next uh, area of discussion, because I've got to give some more thumbs up to... Oh, thumbs are thumbs th- going everywhere th- thumbs going everywhere. Bloody hell, they're going to be pretty tired of me today. <laughs> uh, I did a few <laughs> trainer sessions in the last couple of weeks, and uh, run out of good cycling to watch at the moment the last season's good cycling there's a few channels YouTube channels and stuff which have got a lot of the classics yep. it's fantastic so I've watched a couple I've, I found a channel on YouTube that's um, recorded uh, a lot of the Ironman coverage the live coverage mm. and so I watched the 70.3 worlds from Australia not in complete entirety but if you want to see a good running race bloody hell go and really? watch the men's race there the women get completely stiffed in that event there's hardly any coverage of the women well, no, the, 
I'd love to see Torsen's race. There is a reasonable amount of coverage, but there's a lot more on But is that just because of the better race? Uh, probably. And also, you know, because I wonder if the women's race was a phenomenal race, would have they done less of the guys? Don't know. It's just because the women are behind the guys. I think it's they're out on the course and the lead. Yeah, no, I don't have, I don't have the right answer for you. But uh, if you recall, it ended up being a very close finish between Tim Reed and Sebastian Kinlay, yeah. and that was an epic, really? long battle, man. Those dudes dropped each other multiple times. Both sides did it, and uh, Tim Reed was gone for all money, and then he just came back yeah, at the end and, and, uh, and did it. So that was impressive. How far out from him did he get it? Oh, very close. Yeah, was it? it's in Malulabar and it's on the, the last hill. So he, he, he was behind with three three or four K to go. He wow. was 20, 30, 50, not 50, maybe 20, 30 metres behind. Yeah. And uh, and then you've got this climb. It's not a tricky climb, but at that stage in a race, yeah, it's, it's pretty gone. hard. Yeah. And he managed to catch up and then uh, did he drop? I think he dropped. He, he, he sprinted. I think it was just, just before the top and sprinted downhill. That moment, hey, that's such a cool moment in sport. When you are dying, but you're catching the guy in front of you, and you know you've got to blast past him. Mm. You know, like you, you can't give him any chance to think that there's hope. So when you go past him, <clears throat> afterburners are on, and then it's just survival. Like that's such a wicked place to go, isn't and it? And again, shows the quality of um, Sebastian Keenlay and how good a runner he actually is. Yeah, uh, he, you know, all the good runners were there. And granted. It's a little bit different when you if you're running off a hard bike ride, mm. uh, and he would have been able to ride easier than all of them on the ride because he stayed with the, with the pack um, once he'd caught them up. So yeah, but but still, he's a quality runner to outrun you know Tim Don and and Terenzo Bozzoni and basically run with Tim Reed, who's been you know one of the most dominant seventy point three athletes of the last few years is uh, is impressive. But do you think his strategy is a good strategy? You know, when we were in Kona this year, there was this kind of conversation with Sebastian, and it was kind of like, I'm foolish to go crazy on the bike now. I'm better off to save myself for legs. Now, he's a good runner, but he's not a top runner. He's not, or at least an Ironman. Are we going to see a, a low 240 from him? Uh, I would think he's ca- capable of it. So I think it's it's all part of the strategy. But what, what you, if you were him, and I, you kind of, kind of go, well, or you won it based on the old way, what do you, what, how would you race? Based, if you had a skill set right now, how would you race to give yourself the best chance of winning Kona? You've got to make the race as difficult as you can on the bike to try to make people tired. Uh, but he didn't do this year. No, he didn't. No. So and he was quite well, he was quite kind of vocal about that. He was kind of saying, I've learnt my lessons. But you still saw, he still got second. Yeah. And he got beaten by one of the fastest ever runners in the well, sport. One of the best athletes so of all time. So he blew the legs off enough people on the bike to make them so tired that they couldn't run, you know. Um Got, I can't remember where Brent McMahon got, but but guys like that who are probably better runners than him, if you can fatigue them such that they can't run off the bike, then you've you've done a job. Of course, I think he'd rather ride off the front, but um, there's enough strong bikers now in that group that are going to you know keep it together. So I think he's just got to try to make the bike as difficult as he can, and sometimes he'll get away, sometimes he doesn't, but as long as everybody's tired coming off the bike. Is there any strategy that would be, be able to beat Frodo? Other than Frodo blowing. Yeah, no, I think you just got to catch him on a... Uh, if he's on his A game, I'd say no. Okay. But he's not going to be on his A game every time. This year he was on his B game and still won. Yeah, not by... Not by... He didn't... didn't oh, he, he, he had it. He, he, he certainly had it, but um, you just need to catch him catch him off guard a bit. And, you know, his... Gomez, his, sort your crap out. Why are you staying another year in ITU? Oh, Bevan. I tell you, why don't you go up to Rotorua, Bevan? Is he up in Rotorua? He's up in Taurong, and apparently he's racing the Rotorua Half Ironman, um, which is... Well, someone get, get to listen weeks. to this. Say, okay, Gomez. Now, someone find Gomez. Say, put this in his ears. 
or, or even just put it on speaker. Apparently this is Bevan. Hey, I'm Bevan. John, say hi. Hello, hello, Javier. Hey, you're a lovely man. Yeah. You always seem quite friendly. Apparently never seen he's you. going out with a girlfriend's a Kiwi. Oh, I see. You're a Kiwi now. Go yeah. the All Blacks. You probably love the All Blacks and we love the Spanish soccer team. So yeah. it's a win-win. goes both ways. Gomez, come to Ahmed. <laughs> Bevan's passion alive. He's ranting. He is fired this up is on this why, topic. Because uh, the thing is, the thing that's being put out there, I haven't heard him say this. He feels he still has things to prove in ITU. And the Olympics is the only thing he's got to prove. Mm-hmm. So what's the point? The thing is, I, I understand what you're saying. If you're not 100% committed to doing Iron Man, don't bother. He, he's only got. No, it. but he's saying he is the next year. Yeah. So he is committed. He's just waiting a year, which is a wasted year. Because what's he going to do? He might win a 7.3 world champs. Cool. Great. He might do a few 7.3s, which he'll probably dominate. Mm-hmm. He's going to do some ITU races. He's not even guaranteed to be that successful in them because the field's a lot stronger nowadays. Mm-hmm. Comes to Ironman. Competitive now. We can't say he's going to win it, but... But he's kind of a... If he doesn't win it, or if he doesn't go very close to winning it... Uh, yeah, but what's he going to do in ITU next year that's going right, to make a difference? No, I'm hearing you. I'm if hearing he comes you. and wins Ironman legacy because he, he mm-hmm. didn't get the olympic gold mm-hmm. so what's the thing you know he's going to be one of those athletes he's going to be in the future he's going to be the guy who didn't win the olympic he's going to be the at this stage he's the best triathlete not to win the olympic gold yep. isn't he yep. yep so in post his career but then if you've gone on one in kona mm-hmm. now admittedly he might do it in 2018 mm-hmm. but increase your chances go meds <laughs> gotta be so, under one mate you're a kiwi you're one of us now mm. come on in. come on come on over come join our i'm gonna put some pressure on him come join us here we go <laughs> Okay, extreme Spot. joints. Yes. You got some sore joints. We've got uh, joint four, four fast acting natural ingredients for joint health in their joint four product. It's a scientifically based formula of four proven ingredients that support the nutrition of joint synovial fluid, cartilage, and connective tissue. The unique formula has been helping to reduce discomfort in joints for almost 20 years. So 33.95. So if you're feeling a little achy in the joints, Age is starting to catch up with you a little bit. Are you getting it yet? Not quite yet, no. I am Can't be far away, mate. Well, I'm only 40. Well, your legs have done a lot of work. They have done a lot of work, but I'm... I'm We're s- lucky because we haven't ran too much. Like mm-hmm. Swanee, his legs are screwed. <laughs> Swanee, no. <laughs> his legs are... I was watching uh, um, a race in Rotorua, and one of our listeners had won it. Bloody... Who's the real fast runners? Craig Kirkwood, probably. Was it, probably, I think it was Craig Kirkwood. Yeah. He won the Rotorua... I think it was a half marathon the year before. I was doing, one of my runners was doing the race and I went with the results. And, oh, Craig Kirkwood mm. took it out. Probably, yeah. yeah. Legend. Very good. So jo- Craig Kirkwood, if you need some joint four, it's 33.95. Being a runner. <laughs> Being a runner. Use promo code IAMTALK10 and you get yourself a nice discount. So get on there, xendurance.com. Are you feeling any age effects yet? Oh, only self-inflicted. Like I... I one of the reasons why I've, I've had, I, I think I've had a little boost in performance over the last couple of weeks my chocolate. is your chocolate. Yep. And I've also been a lot more disciplined on my flexibility mm. and uh, just time starting to free up a little bit and I'm, I'm forcing myself to do it a bit more and I'm enjoying seeing the benefits. So I think but it's an aging process, but it's also a function of laziness and not uh, body making, yeah, not making the time to, to do it. So, but aging, no, not really. No, I mean, I'm not as fast as I used to be, but uh, it's, Mainly because I'm just not training as much. Yeah, yeah. It's just a reflection of your slackness, <laughs> my busyness, Bevan. Oh wow, back no, it up. My choices, not your to choices. As much. Your choices to be a be a parent. 
exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So joint four guys. If you want, if you are getting a little bit older, or if you're swanny now, um, you want to go to xendurance.com. It's all their products are on there. You can even do some bundles and apparel, and they've even got lots of kind of research around what they're doing. So you can check that out there if you have any questions. They have an affiliate program as well. So if you've got a bit of an audience yourself, maybe you can sell some product and get some affiliates. Exactly. So check it out. Xendurance.com. Com. Okay, Jombo, next up, we're going to have a look at discussion of the week. Last week's discussion of the week was a, was a good one, actually. So we kind of said there was two points to it. The first was there's been this big discussion, good old Tim, the, old, the, old, the tennis player. Mm-hmm. Tim Heming. Yeah, he, uh, he basically put up an article saying that it looks like there might be a change to the format for 2020. Not sure if that's going to be the case, but, you know, he did this um, interview. It was a good interview. But what we're saying is... What would be the ideal Olympic format? And then I was kind of curious around why you're listening to it if you're listening to music. I know not everyone listens to music, but what what are you listening to right now? So, John? We're going to ignore, partly ignore the comments around the mixed team relay because pretty much everybody wants to see that. Yeah. And I looked at Try 247. I noticed they had an article, and there's been a lot of variation in which countries have actually got on the podium for the when they've had this in Hamburg for the for the world champs. Now, sometimes the teams have not been stacked with best best uh, athletes, but you know, for example, we had uh, last year United States, the year before France, Great Britain, Germany, Great Britain, Great Britain, Switzerland, Switzerland are the different nations that have won it. So, and a whole bunch of other different nations have been on the podium as well. So, um, it does give you know, quite a few nations a good chance. But in terms of what people said um matt moran uh i would like to see a sprint distance knockout tournament much like the velodrome or athletic events with rounds and finals it would bring endurance into the fold as contestants tire through the rounds okay i'm going to say stephen johnson i'm not sure who you've put here because i'm actually on facebook but keep the olympic distance but add max always done mixed relay uh or perhaps add a sprint qualifying round to make it to the finals which are olympic distance that's got a cool idea each country would be able to send more athletes as there'd be more room for the start line for the heats that is a critical point we cannot have any more athletes oh is that what is that the criteria is that what you're saying no this is this is the thing Whatever happens here, we're not going to be able to get more athletes into the Olympics. So I think we've take, got to take that. Is, it, is this a fact? Yeah, pretty oh, okay, much. Okay, it's okay, it's okay. like, so the mixed relay is the same athletes that do the Olympic distance. Um, so so they're know, basically so trying to innovate with the same pool of yeah, people. So we've got 50, let's, let's assume we've got 50 males and 50 females, and, and we're trying to decide what to but do. I do like the idea of make the final an Olympic and make the sh- you almost know, like you can have 20 people in the final mm. and yep, yep. heats with sprints absolutely yeah. Simon Moffat uh, mixed, rally is a, mixed relay is a no-brainer but I'm torn between the excitement of a sprint and the better endurance test of the Olympic who needs music when you've got I Am Talk podcasts all the way for me I, I do I love podcasts but I have to well, I want to train hard can't beat music. Uh, sprint races with heat. This is even uh, even Stillwell. He's got sprint races with heats, semi and final. What would be the perfect number? Like if you're going to a final, ten. Like what would be the perfect number of athletes for the final if you did a sprint? Like like even. It would depend on the format. Like if you're going a. Let's say you're doing sprint. I would like to see say twenty. Okay, would cool. be good. Okay, he's also saying mixed relays. Imagine what it'd be like on TV as a shorter circuit. So, yeah. Sean O'Porno Barnes. Oh, also sound of trance podcast. He, Sean O'Porno says uh, an eliminator like three mini sprints and the team mixed relay. Loving my Green Day, Revolution Radio and some old school coolio. Nice. Uh, Jeff Curry, the explosion, he's got just sprint and mixed relays and he's listened to us guys mostly, but also the wild feathers. So I've checked them out. Glenn Newbold, sprint races with prelims of 10 competitors, then into semifinals and finals. Music, who needs music when they train? I'm with you, Glenn. 
Well, here's, here's an interesting question. Duncan Finfold, he's kind of responded to his own one, but he's got, firstly, we need to decide what we want to measure. Speed, yes, endurance, yes, luck, team skills. What about they do heats for each individual sport with uh, X minutes, hours, slash hours, rest between sports? Hmm, this is interesting. So of each course in a non-drafting bike TT kind of level, and then combine scores to determine 25-ish starters on the start line. First over line gets the gold. Hmm. And he's got, if you swim like a rock fish, you may not make it. If you rely on the pack, you may not make it. Uh, if you pace poorly, hmm, uh, this rewards the most balanced athlete. Don't know if that would happen, but at least he's innovating. Yes. Pam Morris, I mean, I'll, I'll go into hers in a moment. I think we need lots of innovation. It's just whether we do that at the Olympics or not. I'll come on to my points later yeah. on. Pam Morris, uh, keep the Olympic distance, but make the course tough and introduce the team sprint to provide some excitement. Sam Brown, he's, he's giving me a hard time about music here, but I don't really get this. No music. I love music too much to, and lose focus on the... Oh, no, he loses focus. He's, oh, wow, that's interesting. I get more focus for music. Okay. Swanee, no, I think we should uh, go even shorter. How about 393 like the beginners do? Christine McKinlay, a double super sprint and mixed relay. Music depends on my mood, but usually fall back into on Gatecrasher, <laughs> Paul Oakenfield, Ministry of Sound, etc. and other music that reminds me of my party pre-triathlon days. Uh, Trevor Spentley doesn't listen to music, but becoming Olympic sport ruined triathlon as most federations seizing to innovate and homogenizing the sport as professional administrators moved in and started to see government funding dictate the sport of at the Olympics is an easy source of money. So he's, uh, he's having none of it. He's, he's got a good point there. I don't think they've ruined the sport, but it they, slowed they, it they, down. They, they certainly had to standardise things and say, "This is our distance we're going to do, and we need to be accurate and keep doing it and, and show people this is what we do at the Olympics." But times are changing. Mm. I've got a few suggestions here, not on the music front. Okay, wait a second. Let's just Lawrence. I'm just going to do music. Lawrence Anders, heavy metal, Sabbath Maiden. It's a kind of stuff. Old Teddy uh, Sherwood, I'm going to say. 90s punk. Uh, Ministry of Sound from Denny. Whatever music we've got here. Just saying. Just saying. Oh, good old Lucy Francis going back to the old good old Bon Jovi. Bad oh. medicine. Your love is like bad medicine. Bad medicine is what I need. I actually hated them when I was younger because Michael Jackson was my thing. Uh, anyone else music-wise? Uh, so, oh, good old Edward Wong. Edwin Wong, sorry. I met him in, in Taiwan one, one time. He was right. hardcore. Uh, Pod Runner and then uh, good old Everett Brothers. So anyway, nice. CSGO as well. Okay. i got four suggestions here. What was the Don't suggestion I did last week? I can't remember. It was it really good. that good. No, it was a good one. But anyway, you go. Suggestion one, right, number one is not really a suggestion, but that's because that's what they've uh, suggested might happen where you have the heats, heats, sprint distance heats, and then finals. So you might have 50 athletes, Top 25 go through to a final and uh, second 25 maybe go through to a, a B final. It'd be interesting though if they did, how they structure that, if they did it on the same day. Or you know, you'd, you'd get quite a different, well, not a, how big a difference you'd get. We did heats in the morning, final in the afternoon or something like that, or even a shorter break, or whether you did heats one day, finals later in the week. Don't, I don't know how much of an impact that would have. But you got to yeah, remember, it would have quite a big impact, wouldn't it? It could do. It'd be beneficial for some people, you know. Say the Brownleys and stuff who who maybe got a bit more endurance in them it might be a bit more beneficial just to bang it up straight out, you know. Do the heats, and then two hours later do the final. If, or 
you do it later in the week, it might affect the guys that are some of the younger guys might be able to freshen up a bit more yeah. as well. But got to remember, if we add the mixed relay in there as well, that's a third event. So you're going to have to, from a logistics point of view, you're going to have to set up on three different days, close the city down, etc. Uh, so I would say they'd be better off doing yeah heats in the morning, finals in the afternoon, or something along those lines, and then uh, have the mixed relay on another day. If it went to sprint, do you see more athletes from other sport coming over? Yeah, it would, it would it would lend itself a little bit more to pure runners, people that uh, that can. You still got to swim fast, man. Yeah. Those dudes are not pissing around, and you and people are saying, "Oh, the runners just going to take over." You've got to be a bitchin' fast swimmer yeah. to, to to keep up. Okay, your option two. Option two. This is one that I really quite like the 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 look of is doing a short individual time trial to qualify you for the final. So oh, it might be over cool. say. 300 meter swim, 8k bike. Let's say the 393 distance. Yeah. So three, 300 swim, 9k bike, 3k run. Which has got to blitz you, doesn't it? And you've got to time. So you, that way you've got to time, train to be a time trialist and you've got to train to be ready for a, a potentially tactical race. I think that'd be a really nice solution. It would mean you get. But does it, does it kind of. I'm just kind of thinking on top of my head here now, but for the top guys, they're going to take it pretty easy because they know. So it's kind of just going to screw the middle of the pack, isn't it? Yeah, but you, I think then you get the the cream of the cream in the in the main race. You know, the top yep. twenty five athletes uh, it'll be go, go through to the final, and that would change the dynamic of the bike when you've only got twenty five athletes in there as opposed to fifty. It would 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 change things a bit. My only problem with that, based on some of the criteria that we're thinking about change for, is it's not that appealing for TV. It's short though. Yeah, yeah I, I I get what you're saying. But we want. I would say more people are going to want to watch the the race and the prologue as you as you sort of warm up. So just putting it out there as an idea. This is one idea that I actually thought of when I was out riding the other day, and I think this is gold. I don't know if it's appropriate for the Olympics. So what's Devin, what's boring about watching Olympic distance racing? Pretty much everything is fit for the run. Yeah, <laughs> so we've got we've got to figure out how to spice it up a little bit. Okay. Yeah. And instead of penalizing people you know, a lot of people talked about these eliminators and things like that how about we try rewarding people and so what i was thinking is you know say for example you have an olympic distance race um so it's a two lap swim 15 uh, 750 meters per lap and then say for example you have the typically it's laps of 8k on the bike or thereabouts and maybe at the end of the swim and maybe at a certain point on the uh, each lap on the bike you have a sprint point. This has kind of been done before, and you, but in the past you get might you might get a couple hundred bucks winning the sprint. So mm. the big hitters are like, oh, well, I don't really care. Mm. Why not have time bonus? Not time bonuses. Bonuses for getting there that are going to mean when you go onto the run, you get to take a shortcut. Oh, so there's actually distance bonuses. Something like well, that. You're so, 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 right, so, yeah. so for example, you go along and maybe on each lap on the bike there is a sprint, and if you win the sprint. Um, you get, for example, a hundred meter bonus, mm. and when you're heading out on the run, you can turn you, you'd, have, uh, you'd have you'd um, have you'd need to have some scoring system, which is going to be really obvious for the athletes. And so you're running out on the run, and maybe you have a long straight to start with, and if you've got a bonus or two bonuses or three bonuses, you get to turn early on that point. So it's really motivating people to go ballistic at points on the bike. It's going to spice it up uh, and and make it more of a spectate spectacle. Um, and give people that are going to often get crushed on the run 
some more motivation to actually go out there and attack it. So whether or not this is appropriate for the Olympics, I don't know, but I think that would be a really cool innovation I, I, I to have. I think it's an awesome idea. I, I don't know if it ever happen, but I think it's a great idea. Because you, you know, then you're not running 10Ks. You know, everybody runs 10Ks, but you're running 9 Yeah, but you, it's a race. Mm. And so all games have rules, and mm. so you're just changing the rules to make the race more exciting, aren't you? And so the race is you win the race. Mm. Now I get that the whole distance thing is you know to say someone might run certain distances, but if we're ch- you're kind of changing the dynamic here, saying no, the the goal is to win the race, mm. and there's going to be rewards for because we want to make it more exciting. Because let's be honest, sports change to make it more entertaining for TV. So like hockey is a good example. Yeah, uh, they've changed the the I think they've changed it to ten minute quarters now instead of ha- half a game. Yeah, and the idea of a it's just purely just for better entertainment for TV, and so really what our sport needs to do is become more entertaining and that actually makes it really fascinating doesn't it because the bike is boring as shit yeah. at least i've got a crazy hard course and most places at the olympics you've just got to make up what you can with what you've got but then with this it'd have to be quite a few bonuses you know yeah, what i mean that's the thing if you, you, got need, one, you need like 10 bonuses or something yeah. within it well there you go you got one in the swim um at halfway in the swim and probably another one at the end for leading out of the swim so then you're coming in halfway through the swim you could have some serious sprints going on to try to get to the front yeah because if you get so it's, let's let's say it's um, 100 meters, whatever. That, I don't know what's that going to be. 18 seconds or something yeah. like that. You pick up a couple of those. Mm. Maybe it's 10 seconds. I don't but that's the thing. If there's only if there's only three in the race, well, you might get 300 meters. But Brownlee's thinking, well, I'm not going to kill myself. I can just sit back. These guys are killing themselves for that. Whereas if there's 10, mm. potentially someone could get a K up. Mm. Now it's highly unlikely one person's going to win it all. But if they did. Well, mm. this the game. Exactly. You know, and so then you kind of kind of make it, it's kind of enough of a carrot to make people take a risk and enough of a fear to make those who could conserve not mm. conserve. Well, that's, that's what you're going to think about. It basically becomes a, like a criterion um, bike race. Mm. So it is slightly unfair on the run because there probably wouldn't be any bonuses on the run. Um, but I, I think it but would that, be But then... If we go going, we're trying to make this an interesting spectator sport. Mm. That doesn't matter. And then you still go the Olympic distance. And I, mate, I'll be sitting there for two hours watching that, going right. And in, in, in seven minutes' time, we've got another sprint. Let's yeah. see what happens. Yeah. It would help glue me to the TV. And then at the run, you think, okay, shit, Brownlee's got to catch up four hundred meters or something like that. You know, mm. or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, my fourth option would be, and, and this is again based off what I have at the weekend. I do a double super sprint triathlon, and and that. Make it really splits things to shreds. So, whether or not it'd make it heaps more exciting, but it would certainly help to split things up and you get lots of little alliances happening um, after that first run and going into the swim. So, I think it would make it more exciting and interesting. And that way, you could potentially keep the um, the Olympic and do like a two sprints back to back. But I guess you're a little bit restricted there in terms of um, you need to have it as a non-wetsuit. What if we went back to your option two, individual time trial for the qualifying and then a handicap start for the final? All oh, right, or reverse handicap start? No, because the handicap start would just work to this. No, because then it make people work really hard in the, in the time trial, wouldn't it? Mm. But then someone like a Brownlee would probably just be miles ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but yeah. Anyway, okay. So you know, like I think this conversation shows that there's options and there's things that we can do to play around with the sport. Now, all of the options we've come up with, there's probably some faults in it, mm. but there does need to be change, okay. and and there is going to be change. And I think what you're ultimately saying is that there needs to be more innovation outside of the Olympics, so we can really test what is going to be the right answer, and then from there. You know, because imagine five years from now, eight years from now, Jumbo, the Olympics got the John Newsom system, the, John uh, the, the bonus system. system. And mm. the Olympians, we know the IT listens to this. 
take it away. Yes. We want John and Bevan's system. Yeah. <laughs> right, guys. This week's discussion. So this week's discussion is one around, um, uh, basically, have you ever wasted money on triathlon? And let's be honest, many of us have. Mm. So what is the one triathlon item that you bought that you wish you hadn't paid for, i.e. was a total waste of your money? Mm. So there we go. We want to have that discussion. Jombo, we're going to interview. We have. Chuck uh, in some music and we do an intro going into it. No, I don't think we did. The intro was it was a bit of a balls up. Let's be honest, we're, okay. we're all over the place. We got we got the the, the, the what is it? Prof the, and the Plows. Prof and the Plows, and these guys are right amazing geeks at what they do. So they're going to geek out on the HRV. So here they are. I'm going to put some music on. <laughs> and for Kiwis, I don't know if this is the same brand elsewhere in the world. That's not your uh, your home ventilation system. No, 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 no it's not. <laughs> here we go. Right, guys. Do uh, you know I was on the plane going to Hawaii, and there's this. Good looking man on the road across the road from me. I was like, I know this guy, and it was, it was good old Paul Larson was yeah, next to me. One of one of these athletes that <laughs> qualified for Kona, and uh, yeah. and but from memory didn't have the chance to race. And then when I was out on the lava fields, I caught up with Paul and uh, the, our other guest today, Dan Plews, as well. So welcome along to the show, guys. Hey, hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's good to be here. So these two dudes, um, both accomplished athletes themselves, both very accomplished sports scientists. Um, We've had Paul on before. Had Paul on before. Yep. We've had Dan on before as well. Oh, and true. He, he hooked yeah, he up with Mahi Drysdale. So both involved in high-performance sport in New Zealand uh, and are going to be branching their wings out into triathlon, the triathlon world a little bit more. You'll hear about that coming up. But we're going to talk about heart rate variability today. It's not a topic I don't think we've ever discussed on the show before in, in much detail. So, so guys, um, maybe kick off by explaining what heart rate variability is because I know there's going to be a lot of people out there that uh, don't even know what we're talking about. The right. heart rate variability, what it does is, I mean, it's got, it's got quite a lot of buzz at the moment. And the reason that people are interested in it is because it's, um, it's actually a observer of our autonomic nervous system. So even as we're sat here right now, our heart rate might be 60 beats per minute, but that doesn't mean that the gap between every single beat is just one second. In fact, the gap between each beat is actually varied. So if we're quite, so like now I might have, when my heart's beating, it's not beating like a, a drum. It might go 8,000 milliseconds, 1,000 milliseconds, 1,200 milliseconds between each gap. So rather than it going boom, 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 it's more like boom, 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 if you, if you kind of understand what I mean. So, so it's, it's actually... It's not like a metronome. Yeah, so it's not like a metronome. And it's actually a varied... Um, it's a, it's, it's, the, the gap between each beat is varied. So... If you think about, um, if you're looking like casualty or you look on those kind of those, um, the hospital programs, and you often see when next to the patient's beds, there's the QRS wave with the big R spike, mm. um, the, the big peak. So that's, the R, that's, what's, that's what we call the R value. And that's when the ventricles contract and pump blood around the systemic circulation. So what it's actually looking at is the, the gap between each R interval. And that's why you'll often see, if you look at high variability, you often see this term R to R interval. So it's looking at the gap between each R to R interval and then how much that's varied. And the reason that we're interested in this is because the the variation in gaps links back to our autonomic nervous system. So um, autonomic nervous system, most people know it's made into two branches. One is called the parasympathetic branch, which is kind of the rest and digest. Um, the relaxation side. So, if, like, as sat here now, if you've just not done any training this morning and you're quite, um, you're quite well rested and you've just had some food, you'll be more parasympathetic dominant. 
as your rest and digest. However, on the other side, if you're quite stressed, like Prof's definitely quite stressed at the moment because he's just done a very hard track track workout. So he's more extremely stressed. He's more sympathetically dominant. Yeah. Um, so that means his variation between beats is less. Yeah. Whereas someone who's more parasympathetic, the variation between beats is more. Yeah. So, and, ba- and back to the metronome comment as well. So when you're exercising, your heart's a lot more like a metronome. Yeah. So it's yeah, yeah it's stable and uh, every so, every beat is the same. So when we are in recovery or slash rest mode, the actually the variability is wider. And when we're actually in yeah. exercise mode or in more stress, it's going to be more consistent. You exactly. It. Yeah. Okay. And it it can be quite a hard thing to to get your head around because it's it's kind of like opposite. So. Mm. More parasympathetic activity slows down the heart. So increases in heart variability means reductions in heart rate, which means more relaxed, you know, resting higher, a lower resting heart rate. Whereas conversely, increases in heart, heart variability mean increase, mean, no, so de- decreases, decreases in heart, heart rate variability mean increases in heart rate, yeah. which means you're more stressed. That's right. Yep. So, and more stress basically that's going to get you to that metronome place and basis of what you're saying there. Yep. You got it. You got yeah, it. Yeah, totally correct. So, look, I, I was running along last night with the the Philinator Phil Patterson, and uh, and I know he's been playing around with heart rate variability a bit. And I said, what what do you need to know? And um, he said he uses an app on his iPhone where he puts his thumb over the um, what do you call the button down the bottom? Yeah, I think it is the button, <laughs> and uh, and then uh, he holds it over that for a bit, and then he fills in some other questionnaires. So he was wondering, firstly, um, how reliable that is or not. So I guess for people that are going, okay, I like the sound of this heart rate variability, and we'll go into you know how it how it changes in different training cycles and so on. But how do people monitor it and uh, and actually start to record the data? Yeah, so um, it, you've uh, I think the device that you were describing on the iPhone was um, Marco Altini's uh, heart rate for uh, HRV for training, um, and it's definitely one of the ones that we that we recommend. It is the one probably that we'd recommend right now if you've got an iPhone. Um, and and yeah, it, it measures your heart rate variability. It has the ability to measure your heart rate variability across um, your finger using a technology called PPG, forget what that's actually referring to, but it's looking at basically the, the refraction of the light going through the, um, the capillaries in your, uh, in your finger. And it's, um, yeah, we just did a, and we just did a, um, we just actually finished a, re- a reliability study at it with AUT University. So, and we looked at the, the reliability from PPG versus ECG versus polar, Polar H7, so ECG being kind of the gold standard of HRV measures, and it was pretty much one for one. So it was a technical error measure of just three percent. So in terms of athlete compliance and usability, we we, at the end of the paper, they're all they're all good. I mean, there's no difference between polar and PPG. But if you're looking for ease of use and athlete compliance, you probably uh, PPG is a really good way to go. Yeah, you just can't beat it. It's 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 so easy to do. Eh? You so uh, I, I take mine every morning. Um, you wake up, um, you grab your phone, you click on the app, and uh, you know you, you click measure HRV. You throw your finger over the camera lens, and uh, a single one minute sample, and then uh, you've got your you've got your HRV um, value, and then you 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 know you go through that series of of questions that uh, that a lot of us like, anyways, um, on uh, other various apps that you might find on like Training Peaks, etc. And and um, yeah, you, it gives you um, a really good marker of 
uh, of sort of where you're sitting from your both your HRV and your other um, daily metrics, how you're feeling, fatigue, etc. And it pushes to training peaks, which is handy too for either either your coaches or or yourself. How um, how important is it that you take it um, as soon as you wake up? You know, for, for a lot of athletes practicality is you know when I wake up in the morning at five I'm like a bolt of lightning I've got to get out of the room and try to be as quiet as I possibly can to allow my, really quiet. <laughs> to allow my wife to, to to stay asleep so you know is it still going to give you the same result if you get up and then go down into your office or whatever or go somewhere and just sit down for five minutes and just chill out um, as opposed to actually lying in bed and, and also potentially falling back to sleep yeah, I, I, I feel your pain because that's exactly the same for me. Like my, my wife hates it when I turn because also, especially with the PPG, it turns on a big camera light on the back of your phone. So it's a <laughs> yeah. bright light in, in the, the dark room. room. <laughs> in the dark room. So, I, so I've actually taken to, um, so if I'm getting up early to go swimming, I will do that. I'll just walk out into the into the front room and just like lie down on the couch for just a few moments and then and then take it. And to, I mean, if 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 I was doing research, I wouldn't allow it. But um, but I think I mean from the data that I've been collecting, it it still seems reasonable. Yeah. So um, and, and, yeah, I would agree as well. Yeah. I, I do the same sort of thing. Um, I I think it doesn't matter as much as long as it's standardized. I think the the big thing you wouldn't want to do is is mix that up all the time. Mm. You want to just you, you want to get into whatever your routine is. If mm. it, if you can take it, you know, in bed as soon as you roll over, great. And if you uh, if you can't, you need to go into the next room. Then then great, do that. But just try to do it at the same time. Yeah. So can I take a step back and can I ask why is heart rate variability important and what what are the things we are looking for? Yeah, well, I think um, the heart rate. Yeah, it's a great question. Important. Why why are we doing this in the first place? Mm. And I guess I think one of the main reasons is um, it gives an indication to to us in terms of how well we are um, either adapting or not adapting to our training um, and it's it's you know it's one more it's not the silver bullet but it's one more of those little markers that we can we can measure to um, to be able to uh, give us insight into how we're coping with uh, not only just the training but also the um, you know the load of life that's around us um, and because heart rate variability again, um, sinking back to the nervous system is giving you just that global indicator of all the various stresses um, from, you know, could be, you know, emotional, psychological stress, you know, challenges with your partners. Um, it could be heat, could be altitude. Um, we all react a little bit different to everything. And this is a way of individualizing, uh, you know, where how that stress and those stressors are affecting us. And so then if I'm, you know, so you're basically saying it's a good gauge for the stress response in my life and then I can make decisions based on that. Uh, what, what's the thing we're looking for with the scores, like for someone who doesn't know much about this? Um, yeah, so what's important to understand is that there is no, the, like generically there's no good or bad heart rate variability. It's quite, it's very individual. So there's only good or bad for you. Okay. So most of the apps now, they will, once you record enough data, they'll establish worthwhile change or substantial change thresholds for you individually um and like two like there was a theory that good there used to be an, an the, the original theory was that high heart variability is good and low heart variability is is bad but um now we're coming to realize that ne neither high nor low is good you actually just want to be within your own 
your own thresholds. Yeah. Um, so to, having too much heart rate variability, so really, really high parasympathetic activity is just as bad as being really parasympathetic, um, sympathetically activated, so high stress. And I think we all kind of understand that when we have those days when we go out training, especially the Ironman guys, and we We'll jump on the bike and you'll try and do efforts and just you know your heart rate just won't respond. It's really low and you feel really tired and lethargic and that's just a sign that you're overly parasympathetically stimulated. Um, whereas conversely, you can have those days where you just feel like you, you, your heart is just going through the roof for no reason whatsoever and you feel really and you still feel really bad and that's a sign that you're sympathetically um, overstimulated. So both neither are good. What's important is that you establish what's normal for you and you try and work within those those bands. Mm. Yeah, just I actually I, I just think, think about myself today in, in the um, we just did uh, just did some 1K efforts on the track and um, I happen to have uh, my HRV seems to be kind of uh, stabilizing after a couple weeks of, of training building up to the um, the Tapo Tapo 70.3 and um, it, it's it's kind of been up and down but t today spot in the middle and you're uh, dropping and, bombs and I was dropping bombs actually oh. I was feeling quite good you know, the minor minor little little tear in the back hamstring there but. Uh, <laughs> But otherwise, pretty not too bad. He says Terry means tweet, tweet, little tweet. <laughs> so, um, as as you're moving through through your season, and, and you know you're going up to seventy point three, um, but it, how does heart rate variability change as you move through a season? Um, you know, you, I think we get that you know with stresses and and relationship issues and things like that that can have a big inf impact. But as you're going through dif different training cycles, should we be aware of any changes in heart rate variability? You know, say say for us um, Southern Hemisphere athletes, you know, people might be going through quite a big base period at the moment, building up for their summer races, or and and during winter they might have been racing cross country where they've been you know running uh, just focusing on their running but a lot more high intensity so is the type of training we do going to influence um, heart rate variability if we kind of take stress and all those other things out of the equation yeah um okay I'll do it. I'll yeah do i think you, you had a study yeah. that kind of showed a little bit of that yeah so i'll take it for, i'll take I'll, I'll discuss the ironman example first of that type of training then we'll go into the kind of the more of the high intensity thing and uh, before i start just bear in mind that like I said before, keeping within your normal thresholds is the important thing. So when we do Ironman type of training, which is typically volume-based, so most of our work is done at a low intensity, um, higher availability it will increase. So what we normally look at is we look at rolling averages, and those rolling averages are based over a seven-day or that the meso cycle that you're working in. So um, so when you when you're training and you're adapting high availability will actually come out, it will go up and rise, and it will normally go above what would be deemed as normal for you. Um, so it will go above those substantial thresholds or it will have, have a substantial increase in high availability. But when it's really, really high, you're actually feeling quite tired. So then the trick is that when we taper or we take a recovery week, we expect the high availability to come back down to within your, within your thresholds, within the thresholds that are deemed normal for you. Whereas conversely, if you're doing a lot of high intensity work with not so much low volume, so we see this more in, don't really see this so much as endurance athletes, we see it more in team sport players who don't really do typically do that much, um, do that much low, um, low intensity work. It will have the opposite. It will go, it'll actually go down and decrease and, um, and then go out of the small sport bar change. And then once they recover, it will rebound and then come back up again. 
Well, no, you go. Oh, no. Well, no, so, so I suppose the question I want to go back to is when you guys are me measuring this, how does it change your behaviours? You know, um, if, if yeah, you know, well, yeah, if you know, you know what I mean? Like if you kind of go, okay, it, it's getting to a point where I'm actually overloading and, and it's, you know, because obviously you're saying there's a period where I want to overload in certain cycles and then when I go to my taper or my recovery weeks, I want to see it come back and for an endurance athlete, uh, then if it's getting, is there a point where it gets too high and I need to pull back when I'm in my endurance, you know, when I'm actually even in my load period? Yeah, for me, for me, I'm, you know, I'm using it as one extra uh, tool in the toolbox yep. that's uh, that's helping me make decisions. Um, so that's yeah, that's it's just uh, it's one of those things that um, that's all, that's running alongside the feel. I mean, um, it, it's it's supporting. It's one of those things that's supporting how I'm how I'm feeling, and uh, it, it's helping me to kind of uh, understand understand my training. So that's yeah, that's that's how I use it. Um, yeah. And then, and and likewise, the athletes that um, that that we work with, it, it helps us understand um, their uh, their you know their expressions that they're uh, they're feeding back to us on 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 Skype or, or in comments on Training Peaks or whatnot. Um, it's and it's just uh, one of those things that helps yeah, it helps align and and um, give you confidence um, with your decisions as a coach. Does it tell you when you're not doing enough? Yeah, I mean, I can give, I can give examples of. Like, I used it with the rowing team for for seven years, and um, there's a number of times that you can because it can go either way. So if you're um, if you're in a heavy training block, so and it and it's kind of stagnant and it and it's not moving up, mm. then it could be a sign mm. that you're um, that you need to might do, maybe do a bit more training. I've got an example of I was working with two girls who were in a lightweight women's double and. Um, and they, and and there were two girls in a boat, but they were doing the same training. But one was quite a senior athlete, and the other one was quite new. So every time we try and give them the same training load, one would stagnate, and the other one would, every time would get a good increase in heart variability because the senior athlete was more conditioned. Mm. So the load that they needed to get a response to the training was higher than the more junior athlete. And that's a really good way to, to actually see. So we could we ended up actually supplementing a few extra sessions on the erg and on the bike just to try and make sure that she still got um, a similar training adaptation. So, and, that, and we all see that it's a bit with the banister, the banister fitness fatigue and um, the performance management chart. Say me and Paul, me and me and Prof did the same the same training load. We both did a thousand. It, it my, my CTL might not move. Whereas Prost might go up massively because I'm just I'm just more conditioned to him and I'm more used to a thousand TSS than than profit. Don't so kill it's me. A, it's a, <laughs> same same sort of um, same sort of example. Um, so, what are, have you guys got anything else sort of on heart rate variability that you guys want to share, or any any examples of you know maybe contrasting pro athletes? Because I know Dan, you work with um, a number of uh, top pro athletes like um, Tim Burkle and. Um, uh, Miss, Miss Swiss and Caroline Stephan and so on, you know, and, and I'm always wary of athletes, you know, looking at what pros are doing and going, I've got to be doing exactly what they, what, what I see from them. So have you got any sort of contrast between pros and age groupers or, or anything else around heart rate variability you guys want to share? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I do. I think, um, I mean, with the, with the pros, it's a bit different with how it's used, I guess, because 
I think with age groupers, it's more than just um, training stress that gets in the way. It's a bit of life stress as well. Mm. Whereas with pros, it's kind of just more of the training training stress. That's the biggest stressor. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, but the, the the general responses are the same. If even as an age grouper, if you're if you have significant life stresses, lack of sleep, whatever that will will be, it will still blunt your adaptation, and that will show in your heart rate variability. So, for example, if you another if you did the same training load and you and you had a really load of life a lot of life stress going on, heart variability would go down, and it might you know, and it just shows that you're not really adapting very well to the training. But as you know, if you did that same training load but life stress was was low and you were getting enough sleep, you come out of that block and you've made some good adaptations. So um, that's the difference between pros and um, and age groupers, it's cause with the pros, it's just you will use it to change the training a bit more. Whereas mm. I think with age groupers, you can really use it to look at what's go- else is going on in your life in terms of sleep and stress. Does it make it hard for you guys as a coach? Because you know, with the pros, it's kind of easy because it's like, okay, well, it's just a training response we're kind of dealing with here. Whereas with an age grouper, it's like, how do we figure out? Is it always obvious what the life stress is? You know, and, and are people always honest about the life stress? You know, do we dealing in that coach kind of situation? Yeah, well, I think it's, I think it just takes it takes time to know. You have to just know the athlete. You know, you have to know what the athlete can typically cope with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like so you can have you can have some examples where, especially if you're using it alongside the performance management chart in training peaks, you might have a, a time when CTL is going up. T, TSB isn't isn't that bad. It's normal, but the variability is super low, and that would tell me that there's something else going on other than training that's causing that HRV response to be down. Mm. With the people who do, you know, the age grouper who has got the kind of the life stress, is it as simple as just getting more sleep or how do you help those guys deal with that aspect of getting their heart rate variability score better? Sorry, I missed that then. Um, uh, well, this is uh, the whole idea of the age grouper who's, it's kind of life stress is the problem. Um, you know, what are the strategies that you help? Is it purely just getting more sleep or what are the strategies you help them with Relationship that? consultants? Yeah, obviously, you know, because it's, you know, because I'm sure there's lots of people who are quite stressed in life listening to this right now, you know, and, uh, and you know, they want to be better athletes at the same time. And so what kind of, as a coach, how do you help them deal with their life stress? Yeah, so, um, I mean, it's e- easy to say, harder to do, right? Yeah. Um, oftentimes they're, they're going to have to get their... Um, uh, their stuff sorted themselves, but um, one of the things that uh, you know, has been mentioned, uh, as, as Dan was kind of talking, that's that's really important, and that is sleep. One of the things that we see that um, correlates quite well with, um, I guess, an increase or improvement in heart rate variability is is um, is a good is a good night good night's sleep. Um, I know myself when I. I'm sleeping like uh, sleeping like a dog, and it's uh, yeah, it, it it looks it's typically it comes out pretty pretty um, good in the morning relative to my um, uh, my averages. Do dogs sleep good or bad? Business like a baby. I was thinking cat because our cat sleeps like 20 hours a day. <laughs> I, you know. I was confused by that. I was like, does a dog sleep good or does a dog sleep bad? <laughs> well, people say baby, but babies cry all the dogs, time. So uh, some good dog sleepers out there. I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah. Um, You're right. So you you guys have been. Uh, um, involved in high performance sport for for quite some time 
um, Dan, especially with the, the rowing front. I know, Paul, you've done quite a bit in triathlon as well as as well as well other sports. But you guys are going on to, to different pastures and you've uh, launched ploosandprof.com. Um, maybe fill us in on, on what you're doing there and uh, I'm assuming people can go, go there to maybe you know, start their journey to find out a bit more about heart rate variability amongst many other things. Yeah, well, and that's exactly what it what it is. We kind of, um, you know, we've been we've had our hands um, tied a little bit with high performance sport. And we can we want to help people and reach the masses and educate. And um, it's it's an education portal um, that people can, will be able to go to and subscribe to, and um, and basically learn about loads of these things that we're talking about now, like high variability. Um, training, fat oxidation, whatever Diet. it might, yeah, whatever it, whatever it might be. Um, but it's not. It is. I mean, it's aimed at your typical A-type personalities who are looking just to kick ass in all all walks of life. When we, it's kind of, we call it um, health, performance, longevity, and they're kind of the the three main rocks that we're we're trying to tackle um, through the through the portal. And um, we just appreciate that lots of those A-type personalities are typically your endurance Ironman types as well um so yeah mm. so that's um a small part of what i'm going to be doing the other the other part is i'm actually going to a startup company called kitman labs which specializes in data um data analytics and integration for um sport so oh. Oh. yeah so that's a, that that's the um yeah that's my main my main job so mm. and the uh, and prof will be a uh, a little bit of a sidekick, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the other the other activity I'll be doing um, alongside Plus and Prof is writing a book on interval training, actually. I've been uh, contracted with a, a publisher called Human Kinetics um, yeah. with a guy, a guy by the name of Martin Bichette, and we're going to write a, a book on interval training, uh, which is kind of – that was the PhD that um, – uh, that I did over in in Australia. I think I might have spoken uh, on your show before on interval training. So I'm going to go uh, write a big book on that on the side. Just, just lastly, guys, going back to the kind of the topic. If someone's listening to this right now and they've never heard of the topic before, what would be your advice to get started? Good question. Yeah. Well, I'll start monitoring it myself. Yeah, yeah. And there's not. Um, oh, Jason Moore, mm. um, the mm. guy from Elite HRV. He has a um, he has a course that you can do to learn about heart rate variability. That's right. And actually, yeah. we should we should also plug his um, his HRV app because yeah. if you've got um, if you happen to have an Android, you don't have an iPhone, um, definitely recommend using Jason's Elite HRV one uh, yeah. with a Polar. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't have the camera phone uh, unfortunately available, but um, that's the, that's the next best thing. And yeah, as as uh, as Laplace was saying, um, the his his course is excellent. He's done a great job on this uh, HRV for training course. It's less than two hundred bucks, and uh, it takes you through about eighteen hours of uh, just video and questions and whatnot. And you can really get um, you can get kind of uh, up a, um, up a high sort of level of understanding. So it'd be be great for coaches to uh, um, that are that are interested in this topic to take. We should probably write a book on it too, really, shouldn't we? We yeah, should. Hurry up, boys. You know, you know, you, you've quit your jobs. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so right. Let's get Ryan a book. That's right. Um, someone, else, someone else asked me to do that the other day. Bevan said his question. Now, my, my last question is just around, and I'm not going to go into the topic in detail, but, you know, obviously you guys are, are pretty big on the low-carb, high-fat. So, on the again, on the yeah. clues and prof, is that sort of an area you guys um, go into uh, in terms of studies and 
personal testing that you've done on yourself. We saw I saw you and Kona walking around with your little glucose um, meters yeah, uh, plugged right, into your arm yeah. and stuff. So yeah, you should, you should see us at the moment. You should see us now. We're even worse. <laughs> we've got um, we've got a glucose meter and real time heart rate variability first beat ECG plugged in continuously. Yeah, you are the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, robot man, yeah. Robocop. Yeah, yeah. Back to a bit Fantastic. Okay, guys, so if yeah. you want to check out um, pluesandprof.com and uh, look out for the prof smoking around uh, the Taupo 70.3 course, are you doing it as well, Dan? Yeah, I sure am. Right and, and Paul's leaving us. He's going to, he's going to Canada. Canada? Back to bloody snowy Canada. Oh, mate, you're going to miss the Kiwis. Yeah, so. I will, I will. It's a small world. Are, escape. You, are you racing Taupo, John? Uh, no, I'm not. I'll be on the start line in Wanaka in whatever shape I can turn up there in. But uh, come yeah. come July next year for, for Rote, I'm going to be on fire. He's going to win it. He's going to take up Frodo's record. The, the real oh, world yeah. record. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have to, isn't it? Lionel Sanders has got the record now, hasn't he? <laughs> Don't even go there. Apparently I'm sitting so. next to John. He gets a bit angry. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, guys. No worries. Right. Pleasure, guys. Awesome. Yeah. Interesting discussion, isn't it? Very much so. Hmm. I know it's a tool uh, a lot of people use, and uh, now with the iPhone apps and etc., uh, it's it's really easy to to use. And uh, I'm glad we asked that question. You got to get out of bed because. It's going to be a cause of angst for many people. Well, it's interesting as well is how much more monitor we are of ourselves in our lives now, aren't we? Yeah, and the tools aren't, you know, we're very much in the introduction phase of this. You know, imagine 100 years from now how we'll be doing this. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just you know, the better information, the better decisions we can make. So that's ultimately what this tool is really, isn't it? It's just another tool to help us stay in a place where we can perform at our highest level. So good stuff. So I'll put a link, I'll try to put some links on the show notes, although I may not, so good luck. So, but some of the links that they talked about in the interview as well and to their website. Anyway, my first try, John. Hit me with some music, Bevan. Oh, okay. Here's the music. My first try. Good old Richard, the Scary Bear Waddington. How do you say that name? Murakami? Murakami in Japan. Okay, it was year 2000. I was living in Tokyo, and a bunch of us for the rugby club went to Murakami for our first triathlon. All new bikes and clips on the bars. I managed to fall off the bike eight weeks before the race and break my collarbone. Have you ever done that? No. That's a common, I have fallen off my bike, but I have not broken The broken collarbone, that's a cyclist injury, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. I was a pretty poor swimmer, still am, 115 for an Ironman at best, and hope to cram swimming into those last weeks. That's how you do it, just two weeks before I'll do my swims. But that didn't even happen. I had only ever swam 1,500 metres once in a 25-metre pool. Standing at the start line, you could see the line of boys stretching out along the coast. I was terrified. There was no way we swam all the way there and back. It must be that we get out there and then get out the back. Surely, the gun goes off. And within 150 meters, I lost my goggles. That's not good. No. You should do the John Newsom strategy. No goggles. No goggles. <laughs> there we go. Uh, been kicked in the head, and I'm breathing like a 400 meter hurdler with a pulse of 200 plus, 210 plus. Bobbing up and down vertically on the line like a cork in my nice new 
most buoyant wetsuit I could find that I'd ever worn before. A few minutes uh, and I managed uh, to overcome the wobble, find goggles on top of my head, oh that's gold, and set off. About 45 minutes later I had been smashed by the few waves of swimmers I emerged from the water. T1 and onto the bike. Click pedals, definitely not mastered that skill. That's that's definitely amateur yeah. town, isn't it? Yeah. Have you done the just fall off? Oh, you, Absolutely. You, oh yeah, the old, at the yeah, lights? Yeah, the lights. Oh, that's always yeah. gold. The, the worst part about that fall, what's the worst part of that fall, John? You just hope you don't get run over. Oh, it's the embarrassment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the pain is so bad, but the embarrassment. Anyway, um, uh, straight out into T1 and on the hill, I'm most certainly in the wrong gear. Get off and push on that. It's not good. And you clip this bloody... <laughs> Shoes, bike shoes, it's never okay. fun. The rest of the bike is great, I'm cruising. Broken collarbone meant that I had uh, a lot of the time on stationary bike. Looking forward to the strong bike, strong part of the run. In those days I was running about 35 minute 10k, so I thought it would be easy. It's a pretty decent time. I get on the bi- off the bike and what's happened to my legs? I'm hobbling. I'm all tied up and I can barely get that transition hill again. Um, again in the wrong gear but it's oh wait a second where have I gone there oh no no, he's going to transition Uh, but this time it's my legs not the bike I am so desperate to pee I have to pull over by a lamppost and get frowned on by the locals oh that's gold he peed on the street Japanese would not be impressed with that no luckily I did not get DQ'd I hobbled off managed something like a 47 minute run and collapsed it takes a few years for me to race he's going to get a retrospective disqualification (laughs) someone's going to go find this result on Athlinks and disqualify you okay uh, but I am now Achilles tendon permitting uh, a regular iron distance racer at a 10 hour to 10 and a half pace and it's been a great journey it's a rare modern life to be put in a position of total ignorance and a competitive environment and with a no immediate support it's like a new job or learning a sport at school sink or swim really does describe it and for the poorest swimmers it's a huge hurdle to get over it is a, it's a good point in modern life there's not so many surprises no. and so it's kind of cool that people still do get granted this was back in 2000 I think it was but I had the House of Travel Triathlon Festival at the weekend and a couple of people come up to me a couple of first timers and they say right so what do we do here oh really <laughs> I, I like doing race briefings and stuff and I'm like um, um, did you look run? at any of the information you know the the 18 page race manual for a sprint distance triathlon the maps on the website anything like that but I, I took the high road and just gave them some nice basic instructions and they were, turn your arms they over, were away turn your legs and pump the arms just to close off a few words to overcoming fear I did Bustleton in 2009 my third iron distance race uh, but full sea swim the day before the race I'd gone for a swim with a couple of training buddies who were very much faster swimmers than I than myself so I ended up doing 500 metres out in the ocean and felt pretty scared to be honest I got back to the shore and was sitting there nervously looking out at the end of the pier you can just about see it 2k away and that you were going to swim in Bustleton I was not in a good place my wife came and sat next to me and said think of how lucky you are to be here to be able to start this event to be healthy fit and to have made this journey there's nothing to fear go out and enjoy it and you'll end up having and if you end up in the rescue boat well it will be no change to who you are and how far you have come so I consider this to be the worst case anything a bonus get out there and have it a go so good work nice work scary bear Wellington. I've just got to say, I interviewed, so we had Matt Fitzgerald on the show last week, mm-hmm. I interviewed him for my podcast on his book, How Bad Do You Want It, right. which is the Mind Strategy book, and I really love the book, it's a great book. So if you want to check that out, go to my podcast, The Bevan James Isles Show, I've changed the name of it, um, and it's just bevanjamesisles.com, and you can listen to it, I highly recommend it, so if you, it's an endurance sports athlete and the Mind Strategies, and it's, it's a good interview as well. So, awesome, next interview, Jombo. we got Rob Wilby from Oxygenetic coming up, so here he comes. Here we go. 
Okay guys, we've got uh, Rob Wilby from Oxygen Addict here and we're going to talk about some, some I'm going to change his, his title of his uh, oh, wow. discussion here a little bit okay, on his Good luck, Bob. We can, we can debate this point. So swim, swim training for the, the time crunched uh, oh, age Not the busy thing. person. I, I forewarned Rob about this, I don't like the word busy. Everybody's got a choice about what they want to do, but for the for person who's time crunched or wants to get the most bang for their buck out of... Uh, out of a short amount of time, um, the, the, here is how you're going to find out how to do it. So welcome back to the show, Rob. <laughs> Thanks, John. Do you know, I recently had time crunched in the title and I changed it because I saw that there was another coach who'd actually used that phrase. In the oh, title there you go. His book. <laughs> 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 Singer, I don't want to get sued, man. Uh, Still, yeah. it's all good, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, we obviously we're talking about swimming, but also oxygen addicts. So maybe just give us a, a quick overview. You talked about another, you know, another coach had a title for another a different article. Um, maybe tell us, you know, how you sort of uh, differentiate yourself and, and your sort of general training philosophy with uh, Team Oxygen Addict. Yeah, sure. Well, Team Oxygen Addict is essentially um, online triathlon coaching where we've got several layers of training plans written for different race distances from sprint, Olympic, all the way through to 70.3 and Ironman. And then I provide coaching guidance for that with a, a private Facebook group. So a lot of the athletes we've got that are coming to us have traditionally got sort of seven to nine hours a week put aside for training. And so with that in mind, the approach that I've got is that I try to get them to spend their training time the smartest way, looking at the biggest overall race day improvement we can make for their given training time. And in general, for most people, that's going to be by focusing on improving their bike power, by making sure they don't pick up a run injury, and by improving their swim technique. So their best Ironman race day is going to come from having a plan of how to improve each of those disciplines across a year in a structured and periodized in some kind of way. And by periodized, I don't necessarily mean base, build and peak. I just mean we split the year up into chunks and we have a reason for doing each of those chunks. So I guess we've talked on previous shows a lot about improving people's biking and improving people's running and how I approach coaching people that way within the team. Um, but in general, the principle is that if you're short of time for training or if you're time crunched, mm -hmm. the best way to go about it, I think, is to improve your functional threshold power on the bike to do steady running so you don't get an injury, essentially working your lungs on the bike and improving your biomechanics on the run. Mm. Nice. So when it comes to swimming, look, I, I'm not taking the piss when I say people are busy. I mean, people make the choices. They say, as you said, you know, I've got seven, yeah, to, yeah, seven, totally. seven to nine hours of training, and that's the, the choice that, that I've made, which is absolutely fine. And so they are really limited. So when it comes to the swimming for those athletes that say I've got that amount of time, um, you know, what's your sort of approach around the around swimming? Well, the way we approach it is we, we look at the swimmers and we try and classify them into one of a number of groups. So th the first group we're going to look at is people who are either swimming is significantly their weakest discipline when you compare it to the cycling and the running or swimmers who in general are swimming slower than 90 minutes for Ironman or slower than about 45 minutes for 70.3. So with this group of athletes, what we're going to say is, look, probably the the odds say that there's something going on with your swim technique that's actually holding you back the numbers coming back from your biking and your running are saying you're probably a much better 
athlete aerobically than your swim time is showing us. So there's something going on with the swim technique that is actually holding you back from kind of accessing the kind of swim pace you should be able to do for your given aerobic fitness. So with these guys, what we say is, look, just swimming more isn't going to work. Getting in the pool four, five, six times a week isn't going to be anywhere near as effective as if we address those technique problems so the swim sets these guys are going to get are going to be very technique orientated. Um, now with the one-to-one athletes, what we do is we advise like if you can get access to underwater video analysis with a good swim analysis, then that's absolutely gold. Because once you know exactly what's going on with your swim and effectively what it is is holding you back, it's really pretty simple then to give the kind of drills that are going to improve your swim stroke really quite quickly. Now I work with a really great swim coach over here called Hamish Shaw, who does a lot of one-to-one on FaceTime video, uh, sort of underwater video analysis with people. And so we're working on trial in a project right now where athletes can get a friend to video them. And, you know, lots of people have got access these days to a waterproof camera phone or a GoPro so they can get a quick shot of footage of them under the water and above the water, email it in, and we'll have a look at that and say, right, you know, you're doing this with your arms at the front of the stroke, which is causing this problem with your body position. These drills are going to be what's going to help you improve your body position in the water. So rather than just saying you need to swim more, we're going to try and specifically address the actual problems that those guys are having. Uh, the next group of people we're going to look at is people who are, are really very good swimmers or if you like the best disciplined swimmers they maybe swum as a kid and they've come to the, the sport of triathlon as really good swimmers and historically they come in with the kind of same swimming mindset of I've always swum for, you know <clears throat> excuse me four five six times a week so I'm going to carry on doing that out of habit and what I've been saying to these guys is look we've got to be really careful how you're choosing to use your training time here because you know there's no doubt that swimming four five six times a week is fantastic if you've got all the time to do it but if you're coming in as a time crunched athlete then probably we can find a better use of your time that's going to improve your overall race time a bit more so I've got an example of a guy i coached who came in as like a 430 400 meter swimmer he wasn't as strong on the bike and on the run so we dropped his swimming from five times a week down to once a week and after four months of doing that we did another 400 meter time trial and he dropped his 400 meter time instead of swimming 430 he was now swimming 434 so there was nowhere near the kind of drop off that he thought he was going to have in his standard of swimming from doing much much less swimming than he'd done before and consequently we could spend all that training time and energy on the bike which made him you know his bike was his weapon that next season later mm. on Mm. Um, so that's really the approach that we take is trying to be smart about using the training time that athletes have so so what's a typical example of a kind of weekly swimming session for you know th those two different types of athletes so what we'll do is we'll have we'll have one key swim a week that everyone's going to do and during the winter months and we're, we're talking now the athletes who are in the northern hemisphere winter that key swim is going to be about an hour long and it's going to have a you know the standard warm-up and cool down and then within the main set we're going to probably split that up into 20 to 25 minutes of technique work focusing on those specific drills that are going to help improve people's technique and then the other half of the main set the other 20 or 25 minutes is going to be spent doing css pace work 
work or threshold type swimming. So they're still getting a good hard workout for their swim fitness, as well as spending a lot of time doing the drills. Now, on all the training plans that I give athletes, as well as that one key swim a week, there's also going to be two other swims. And I say, look, if you've got the time to do these, great. And if you haven't got the time to do them over the winter period, then don't worry about it. One of those is going to be a more endurance based swim. And one of those is going to be a purely recovery swim where we focus on swimming relaxed and we focus on swimming with good technique again. And again, that's more of like a, a free massage, if you like. Mm. But, you know, by and large, with a lot of these athletes that are coming in, their training time is best spent elsewhere. Um, and, and a big push I give them is say, look, spend a bit of money and get a good quality video analysis done. Um, if you can get it done in person with a really good coach, you can give you even just one pointer to say, this is the one thing that you need to do to improve your stroke to get to the next level. That's really gold for them. Fantastic. So if people want to find out more about what you guys do, where, where should they go? If you just come over to the website and check out team.oxygenaddict.com, um, the team is closed at the moment and we're opening for new new team members in January. So for now, you can just pop your name into the email list there and you'll get a notification when the doors are opening up. Um, so yeah, we've we've been really happy, man. Being on your podcast has been great and we've, we've accessed a lot of listeners around the world who I don't think would ever have heard of us and we've managed to grow the team to be over 65 members now oh, already. Great. So we're really excited to get more people in, in that January window and uh, you know it's kind of 20 weeks or so to the the big summer or northern hemisphere summer races then so plenty of time to get people fit for the summertime happens in the winter Fantastic. happens in the winter well, 25 <laughs> sure degrees does, centigrade mate. over here today so we're happy campers yeah. rob thanks for your time as always ah. and uh, i'll catch up with you soon thanks boys i'll speak to you again soon okay sponsor Athlinks.com, as you heard earlier in the show, we had the Ultraman World Championships held at the weekend, so I thought it might be interesting to actually go back and see what some of these athletes are like uh, over different distances. So I thought we went back and had a look at the 20, 2013 results. Oh, I'm just reading, I'm reading later on the last week's nickname, it's gold. Oh, this is gold. <laughs> uh, so I had a look, 20, 2013 results, and we had uh, Tim Sherpa there in fourth place, um, he races the Kona 70.3 occasionally, so he finished fourth that year. And if I go off and have a look at his profile, he's been a pretty smoking athlete. He's got a 9.20 for an Ironman, a 1.16 for a um, half marathon. But he, So he's pretty fast. So he's a weapon on the bike. He's not such a strong runner, but he's a weapon on the bike. I remember he was a long way in front one year that I was doing the 70.3. If I go down a bit further, we have uh, James Player, who finished ninth in 2013 in 26 hours and 37 minutes. If I go, he's got a great picture on Athlinks. He's standing in front of, it's not the White House. I don't, no, it's not the White House, I don't think. But he's, uh, what's, a, what's a building in Washington? Washington? I don't mm. know. Sorry, Americans, I don't know your... Is it the one that looks like a big diddle? Yeah, Is yeah, that one yeah, that goes yeah. straight up? Yeah. No, that's not. Anyway, he's standing there like Rocky with his arms in the air. Oh, that's Philadelphia, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it yeah. might be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's gone 10.07 Ironman, uh, 124 for a half, 4.44 for a half Ironman. Oh, a nice sub three-hour marathon with a 2.59.57. So he finished in, what did I say, ninth that year. So if you want to be ninth, he was sort of a 10-hour Ironman athlete. And if we scroll down a little bit further, um, we who else do we have? We had, uh, let's see, if I, who's, who was the last Athlinks finisher? It was Keith Burr. He, from Portland, Oregon, he went 28 hours, 11 minutes. He won the 25 to 29 age group. Oh, there I you go. I wouldn't think there'd be many of them in that race. And if I look at what he's been up to, 
He's got a 10 hour 43 Ironman, 306 for a marathon, uh, 123 for half marathon. So that's kind of where you're at. Most of these these dudes, uh, sort of the middle of the Packers and Ultraman look like they're sort of, you know, 10 to 11 hour Ironman athletes. There's certainly some slower athletes in that, but I guess that's maybe the, the standard you kind of need to be up for if you're going to, you know, give this event a crack. So the idea with this. If you've got an event you want to do that's coming up, maybe go check out athlinks.com and sort of see what the standard of people are like and see if you're going to fit in. So check it all out, athlinks.com. It's a good little competition tool. Jombo, we haven't got time to do AM uh, email. We'll have to do that next week Okay, because I'm going to be done. Um, okay, so Jombo, we're going to do patrons. But last week we had a patron, and this is absolute gold. So because last week we had a patron, Phil Whitehead, and yes. we, we were trying to decide the name. And the reason we went with the Big Brown... Because basically he was the leader of Team Shit. He was a, a, a shit leader. He was a shit leader. At, at, at a biomass company. So I thought, I thought shit leader, that sounds really <laughs> odd. Maybe he's trying to be funny here because it was a biomass. So I thought maybe there's maybe, something yeah, going there's on a link here. here. Maybe he was the shit leader. Apparently there's a typo. It wasn't supposed to be shit. It was supposed to be shift. <laughs> so then on Twitter. But we called him the Big Brown based yeah. off him being a shit leader. And on, to- on Twitter he's got, thanks to a typo, I'm known as the Big Brown on I Am Talk Podcast. Just for clarity, shift leader. Nice. <laughs> so that's absolute sensation. Oh, I love it. So the Big Brown for Whitehead, that is absolute gold. Mm. Jombo. Uh, do, I, do I have to make one here, do I? We do. Paul okay. Calder. He lives down the road from you, about 100 metres down the road, if that, oh. on the other side of the road. Oh. He's more of a runner than a triathlete. He used to come to my Monday hack. night running. The hack. The hack. Yeah, because we live on Hackthorn Road. Yep. And if he's more of a runner, he's hacking through triathlon, isn't yep. he? Good. The hack. Good. There we go. We've got uh, Bradley Speedo Odom. He said, and he was wondering why Speedo. And the reason I called you Speedo, Bradley, is because Odom. I was thinking Odometer. Oh, nice. Like yeah. Like a car. And yeah. I thought Speedo. Yep. And then finally, uh, Peter Mills. He came over to Epic Camp France last year. And I was there for my 40th. He was there for his 50th. Now, I could take the piss out of his swimming, which I think I did last week. So I won't do that again. <laughs> Not the strongest swimmer, but very strong on the bike and very strong on the run. And, you know, we're not. Towards the end of the camp, I was starting to climb pretty decently, and he was uh, not not far behind me on the climbs. So he was, and he had a good old battle for the the red jersey with the Holy Hammer Murray Lapworth. One thing, when you go out there, and if you're running red lights or anything like that, like really early in the morning, which on the I bike, do, which yeah, yeah, some people are known to do, please don't wear your epic camp gear or or or, or <laughs> the hammer. Gear. Yep. Holy, Holy hammer. hammer got busted by the by flower power. Oh, the really? Voice, uh, going through a red light on uh, Sunday morning, going to help out at the triathlon festival. <sighs> anyway, Peter Mills, he um he's got quite a tight running style. Mm-hmm. Um, he runs really nicely, but and nice Could and relax fast, up the body a little bit more. But nice and relax and and. And he's quite stable on the bike, so I was thinking the Bionic Man. Nice, nice. I think you'd like that one. Good. Yep, yep. Okay, Jombo. If you want to become a patron, go to me. the new website. That's because of people who are patrons. It's, everything we're doing is supported by the patrons of the show. So, and so we often get, you know, would I miss the show if it wasn't here? And you know, and, and really, it's patrons who make this show keep going. So thank you to the patrons. If you want to become on dub dub dub, I'm talk.me. It's all clearly there. And if you go to the new website, one thing that that's really clear on the new website is, <coughs> excuse me, I added the favoricon up top there. You might have noticed. Yeah, I did. Uh, and uh, but if you want to get the show emailed to you, so if you just pull down to the bottom of the page on the front page, it just says have the show emailed to you. Sign up for our newsletter. All I do is each week when I release the show, I just put that out there. So if you want it emailed to you. 
you know, it's a way that you can do that as well. So there you go. And if you are on an Android phone, I don't have a, a link to an app, but the RSS feed is probably what you want to think about there as well. And that's on our front page under listen. So, uh, sponsors, John. Oxygen Addict. Uh, get on there. Athletes.com. <clears throat> Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Look after those joints. And <laughs> what's our joints? And, <laughs> California, uh, it's legal now. So And our patrons. Um, you guys rock. Okay, Jombo, what you guys? You know what I didn't do? I didn't get my music. Okay, what's your music? Okay, there's two pieces of music I'm going to go. Biffy, see why, see Cairo? Cairo. You yeah, tell Cairo. me. Biffy Cairo. They're a rock band. Mm-hmm. Kind of, not hard rock, just mm-hmm. middle of the road rock, but they are awesome. Okay. Biffy Cairo, man. Check them out. They are really good. If you like a bit of rock music to train to, and I'm going to go back to Hamilton. I define anybody. Define or defy? Defy. <laughs> I challenge anybody to listen to Hamilton. There's two songs in particular I want to, I want to name. One is called My Shot. I def, you listen to my. If you're doing a hard set, you want to kill yourself. My Shot and Right Hand Man. You listen to those two songs on from Hamilton. Bevan's challenging you to do this. I, you'll go, thank you, Bevan. I'm going to get a thousand emails this week from people going, thank you, Bevan, because those songs. Put the just before you start your forty minute FTP block you're doing today, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Put those songs on. Put them on repeat. You are going to be. You are finding your next level. They are amazing because they're awesome songs. And they're real kind of defining myself as a person kind of song. So, yeah. I might need a little bit of assistance out there today, I think. Yep. So, there we go. Hamilton. So, there we go. Those are my two songs. John, what's your loss? Uh, we had the House Travel Triathlon Festival at the weekend. So, I put a photo from, from mm. on our week. Fairly breezy out there. The yeah, it was a period. I woke up and thought, oh, it's good weather oh. for John. And then I was like, oh, that wind. My God. Did you have to hold things down? It was, it was windy. It was, uh, I wouldn't say it was quite severe kind of wind levels, but it was strong. So, it was sort of. Your average kind of level wins. And when you got tents and signs and stuff out there, just and, becomes uh, carnage. it was just a bit carnage. But everybody did very well. Um, great to see the kids racing. Uh, we had a, a good elite race, although during the elite race, I didn't actually get to see much because our speakers got blown over. Oh, and no. Then, and, then the, uh, and then the sound system stopped working. <laughs> oh, no. And so I was trying to get out so I didn't get to see how. Who won the elite race? Uh, Mike Phillips. He oh, nice. dominant, fairly yeah, dominant. Pretty good Quincy Marathon as well, half marathon. Mm-hmm. He got like top five, didn't top he? Th- third, I think. Yeah. So that no, was good racing and good to see lots of people out there. Blunder, my wife, did her first and only ever triathlon. Wow, so back up. She's she never the, done a triathlon before. No, she did the, the try-try. Um, How'd she go? She got third equal with her sister. Um like they had a sprint finish, John, no, did it? does not. <laughs> uh, so that was all good. And it's just a big old day for me. So I'm still, today's Tuesday. I'm still just kind of getting over it. Yeah, I think your HRV score is. Yeah, and I, get up, I get up at three and I'm sort of going until pretty late. So it's a big old day, but it's all good. That's the problem with triathlons, but isn't it? Because like a running race, mm. if you coordinate a running race, you know, a marathon's going to be a day's work. Mm. But a triathlon, even a short triathlon. The problem is I've got you know, about six events. Next year, I'm definitely going to make myself, I'm gonna, over winter, I'm going to invest some time to do my briefings all online because I'm basically doing six race briefings during the morning as well as can six different race that, starts. You? Sorry? Can you do your briefings online? Yeah, yeah. And then you just do a safety briefing on the sort of on the start line. Okay. Uh, so that's what I plan to do next year because it's a bit of a nightmare getting everybody together for race briefing and uh, so that's my plan for next year. Why have you done it in the past? Sorry? Why haven't you done it in the past? Uh, I just haven't got around to it. Okay. Mm. So, so what, you make a video? 
you uh, yep, a video and just talk through what you'd say at the race briefing every, anyway, and you get people when they sign in to tick the box saying they yeah, will do that. listen to the uh, listen to the race briefing, and then you just cover any safety, you know, basically just a safety briefing, you know. Well, legally, it's better as well because you have a record of them. Mm. Like for us, we do that as well. You've got to click this before you can even go through, mm. and so then we know that if we get taken to court, <laughs> you were meant to have read it. Yeah, Bevan, what's happening in your world? Ah, uh, John, you know what happened on the weekend, John? We the went for travel triathlon festival. Well, other than that, there was most my most exciting part of the weekend. No, we went out. For, we went to dinner with the neighbours. Oh, he's trying to butter them up now. No, he's no. trying to butter up the neighbours because they won't let him put us in. Oh, no, not that one. Don't even talk about that guy. <laughs> um, no, no, the neighbours, new, we've got new neighbours behind us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there was a connection. So one of Joe's, one of our friends knew the woman. Right. Or knew Bronnie, mm-hmm. new neighbour. Bronnie Handy, do you know all your neighbours' names? Well, yeah. yeah. see? You're a modern person, John. Well, the Community. problem with us, on both Community. sides of our place, they're both flat. We've got a flat, a flat of two in front and a flat of two behind. So that's five people you could have... And there's only two people, well, we know two people, they're permanent residents. The other people, they just kind of come and go and, yeah. They park in your driveway, don't they? No, they don't. Oh, that's good. They'd know about it if they did. <laughs> well, in our in our little and like like good old Paul Caller and I would know, mm-hmm. and in our community we get to know the people in our neighbourhood. You know, Paul the heck, he's, he's the heck. Yeah. Just saying, that's that's what we know, John, because we're in our neighbourhood and uh, we had dinner with our neighbours. Yeah. I went to we went to hang out with Grant and Annette the other day. We sat in the lounge. Yeah. And a bit of talked to him about fibre admittedly, but still. Yeah. You know, yeah, even Stuart, the one, you know, Stuart down below, we're going to win him. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to come in. Gloria with the dog. Yeah. Oh, it's all, and, and that one there, I can't remember his name, but he's a top lawyer in town. Okay. He's got a massive art collection. A nice, is that the one with the nice he's swimming got, pool? He's got a bit of money. Yeah. <laughs> he's not struggling on the money yeah. front. He's got a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like he's got a wine cellar in his house. Oh nice. Yeah. And I, I think he's with a lot of money on that wine. Invite me around next time you go around there. Yep. So it's just you know, this is what you do, John. You meet your neighbours. So Great. There we go. Anyway, John, that's about it, really. Oh no. Okay, the funny story of the neighbours. Come out. Funny story. Go around to the neighbours. Now, mm-hmm. if there's one thing Joe loves in life more than me, John, what is it? Chocolate. No. Think about it. Running. No. Being clean and tidy. Well. Yeah, <laughs> there I go. No. Uh, wine? No, come on. You're uh, the cat. All oh, right. Yeah. yeah, the cat. So Joe loves her cat. Yeah. She loves her cat. And people behind us got two dogs. Oh. And new neighbours. Yeah. You know, got two dogs. So we go around there for dinner. So and they're great people, nice mm. people. Great night. Have a few laughs, a few stories. <clears throat> One of the dogs has killed a few cats. Oh dear. <laughs> It's killed two cats in its time. Oh, goodness. And, uh, and, and the guy's telling some stories, and he's doing it in quite a humorous way. Yeah. Joe's laughing, but, but I can she's feel not the laughing. crying happening on the yeah. inside. Now, the only thing that, that gives us less stress, mm-hmm. the dog looks like he's about to die tomorrow. Right. So, luckily, I think the dog's got six months at best. Because it hovels around, it's got a beard, you know, the grey face. Mm-hmm. So, it's a very old dog. So, it's a young dog. We might have to keep our cat as an indoor cat, but so Joe's been a little bit worried about that. Fingers crossed, this dog dies of old age, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of old age, and and more convenience, <laughs> convenient. <laughs> oh, so, so sorry to hear about your dog. Yeah, so sorry about that. Anyway, that's that's the gossip of my life. Iron Russ. I mean, don't train hard. Train smart. Kick her.